In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. What do you think about symbolism, man? You have any uh, any set ideas on symbolism? Ah, like you know, like a little bit. Um, you know, I'm All kind right. of uh, I'm kind of the anti-symbolism. Well, I mean, I guess in a in a patriotic way. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I've always I've always in used a patriotic way. What does that mean? I mean, I've always viewed symbolism as being a tool, you know, to control people. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, that's yeah, kind of my, it's my, that's my reading background. It's interesting. Was yeah, I, I agree. But do you think that it has to be to control people or is it maybe just a way to communicate beyond language? Because it kind of does the same. I mean, communication is the foundation for control. But, you know, it doesn't have to be. Symbols don't have to be to control people. They could just be a language, right? Yeah, for sure. And which is kind of like the anti-George Monty. Freaking the more complicated the language is, the, uh, you know, the smarter people are. Or the more advanced the civilization is, which I don't think that's true. And I think... I think symbology right. you know, uh, mm-hmm. is uh, like proof. Uh, it doesn't support your theory. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, as I, as I, as I move through this, this, uh, I don't know, this life we're living, I guess I've, I'm just fascinated by different symbols throughout the time, you know, and it doesn't have to be, one language being better than another language or one language being, you know, not as descriptive as a language, but the ideas of meaning 
that come from symbols. It seems to me that pictures, you know, you often hear that term a picture's worth a thousand words. And sometimes you and I can see the same picture and understand what the meaning is. Like if you and I saw a picture of our old high school, we would both realize that's our old high school and we would identify with it. And we, it's something we could identify together on, even though we would have different stories about that image. So when I think about the like the tech or the Rancho Longhorns as a symbol of the school we went to, it's it's interesting to me how we can, I can show you a picture of it or I can say Rancho Buena Vista, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, even though we have different stories about that thing. I'm trying to get to when I talk to symbols, like it, it's kind of blowing my mind. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I don't really know if if schools are symbols. You know, to me, when I think about symbols, I think about, um, you know, um, the flags. I think about, uh, um, mm. I, I mean, I, th there's a lot of different things that I think about. I, I When I think about, like, a school yeah. or a place, I don't, I guess they could be symbols of a community. Um, sure. But... I don't really, I look at symbols as having, you know, meaning to them that um, can be interpreted either, um, you know, by understanding the meaning behind each part of the symbol or, mm -hmm. you know, or, um, or just, you know, being a, um, like symbologists, they use, you know, they use um, similar symbols to help depict or to help understand what the symbol is depicting, right? And so, like, when I see a school, I don't, I don't know if that's in there. I mean, I understand it's a school, you know, and, but it could be any school, you know. Um, you think it's know. a symbol but, I mean, of learning? I, I understand what you could be, a symbol of learning, yeah. Um, you know, but, I, I mean, I, I, get you, I understand what you're saying. You and I can look at that. You know RBV and 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 understand right. what it is, and right. then yeah, we you know we have different stories about it and you know different experiences there. Yeah, but um, yeah, like when you when you think of symbols, George, what do you think of? Like what? Like if you were to see what to you is the most um, recognized symbol. Probably the yin and yang symbol. Like that's one that, you know, ever since moving to Hawaii, that's like one that you kind of see around. It's like the town and country sign a little bit. And it's also, a, you know, a, it means a lot to me just because there's so much in there. And the more, I think that all of us are kind of called to symbols. And every, like you may have a different symbol that you think of when I ask you about it. If I ask you to say symbol, you might say something different than I say the yin and yang sign. And I, I think that there's something to that. I think the symbols are calling to us because we are, when you think of a symbol, you know, maybe someone thinks of a heart or like I said, I think of the yin and yang sign, but I think that those symbols are calling to you. That's why you're thinking about them. And when you think of your favorite symbol or you, there's a symbol that pops into your head, what you're really doing is identifying with the meaning of that symbol. You may not know, it may not be a conscious thought. That I think that symbols are almost like an unconscious language that we use, and we may not even be aware of it at times. 
What's, what's your favorite symbol or what's a symbol that you think about some, from time to time? Um, I, I don't know. I don't really think about symbols, but I, I, I would think um, like a popular symbol would be like, um, you know, I think, I think the American flag is, you know, probably one of the most recognized symbols on earth. And I think, I think it's yeah. something that people actually think about, you know, even more than maybe yin and yang, you know, I mean, that's yeah. kind of a, you know, it's a culture thing um, where I think, yeah. you know, the American flag is, is pretty simple in its messaging. Yeah. Um, you see it, you understand it, if, especially if, you know, not, if you're not here in America, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know what people are thinking about that symbol today, but for, you know, generations, people have looked at it and, um, you know, people have dreamed about it and, you know, that, that aren't living in America. I, so I think it's, I think it's yeah. probably to me, it's one of the most recognized symbols in the world for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think, I think a course on flags, it would be something that I want to take. And I think most people should take, like you have an up, like what's an upside down flag mean? Um, in distress. Yeah. Yeah. You see, That's them, a you see them in thing, movies, right? whatever. It is a maritime thing. In fact, an American flag with gold fringe on it represents maritime law. That's why if you go into a courtroom, you'll see the flag with gold fringe on it because when you're in a court of law, you're under maritime law. Like there's a law, we have, we have land lawyers and, and maritime lawyers. And if you pass the bar, then you're, you are, you are willing to practice under maritime law. Do That's what all that, commerce is done under. Do they call that the admiralty flag? That's a good question. I don't know. I like the word admirals in there. But I'm not sure on that. I, like I said, I would love to take a class on flags. I think that there's a lot to be said about it. You know, I think that we've lost a lot. You know, if we, if we just talk about the American flag, like how much has that changed? Even though the stripes and stars haven't changed on it, you know, the meaning of America today is wildly different than what it meant to the silent generation, the boomer generation, or the Gen, Gen X, you know, versus uh, the millennials. It's interesting to think about how here's this one symbol. You know, some people call it a symbol of freedom or a beacon of freedom. And a lot of people today wouldn't see, like I probably wouldn't see in the flag today what my grandfather saw on it. No, you know, and that's, that's the, that's because that flag is alive. And how so? What do you mean? Well, you know, it represents a, a living nation mm. and, you know, and, to you know that flag also represents you know um you know to do better to every day right try to be a better nation and the people within it trying to be better people and so that flag unlike some of the other flags like like take the confederate flag for instance that people like to, to fly when the south surrendered mm -hmm that flag continued to live. It was dead. It was frozen in time. All of its hopes and dreams, mm. all of its wants and needs were finished. It has no possibility to redeem itself. It's, you know, it's, it's a timepiece. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a time vault. It's stuck there and nothing could ever become of that flag. Whereas the American flag, you know, or stars and stripes, 
you know, every day has opportunity to redeem itself, to be better, to be stronger, to be more just, to be more equal, to be more um, fair. You know, it, it, it has. I don't know. I'd push back on that. I'd push back on that. I, I think that the the Dukes of Hazard or the uh, the Southern Flag or the what's the name? What, what do they call that flag? The Southern Flag or what's the name of it? Confederate flag. Confederate flag. I think it's the Confederate. Yeah. Flag. Confederate battle flag, right? Yeah. I, I I don't see why it has to be dead. I mean, no ideas die. They just they just don't have any energy behind them. But it's kind of like a sail. Once you begin to put wind behind a sail, the sail becomes alive. I mean. There's no reason why the Confederate flag couldn't be reborn. Those ideas could be reborn. In fact, they're probably played out, you know, throughout generations and lifetimes and genres throughout. If I if I wrote a story about the Confederate, the same way that Philip K. Dick wrote a book about the Germans and the and the Japanese winning World War II, so too could I write a book about the Confederates winning the against the Union, and then that flag would be brought back to life in some way, wouldn't it? In a fictional sense. In a fictional sense, yeah. Right. I mean, that flag has no force or effect. None? It's not recognized. It's not recognized There's still people that fly it today. That's true. There are people, individuals that have different ideologies that fly that flag yeah. for sure. But that flag has no power. You can't go to, you know, you, you can't wage war, you know, with that flag. It, it's a flag without a nation. Mm. There's, there's, it's not recognized by any other country on earth as being a legitimate flag that is a representation of an independent state. The flag is dead. Yeah. And a bunch of people, you know, maybe can, just dormant. Can fantasize. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, dormant, it's dead. <laughs> I don't, well, well, to me, I mean, dead means it can it's, never it's, come back to life. It'll never come back to life. Ever? Ever. I don't know. Like I, I could see situations where, you know, like I think it's plausible. I think you get in trouble when you say never. And I, I would agree with you that it's very unlikely for the South or that flag to be risen and have people fight behind it. But I mean, there, there are, you know, groups that are trying to like you said, there's individuals that believe in it. And if you look at an individual like Spark, all you need is the right tender to light that spark on fire. You don't think there's any possible way there could be some civil war today and that the South would come back? I don't think they would be a force, but there's lots of talk about civil war right now. And if that's the case, if there's talk about civil war, wouldn't, wouldn't, isn't it possible that people would unite under that flag? Oh, I'm sure some would unite underneath that flag, but they would get crushed immediately. <laughs> no, it'd be like, you know, be like it's the United States of America waging war against Louisiana. What are the chances? <laughs> but like, who are you taking, George? Well, it depends on what side the army backed. What's that? What's that? I didn't say anything. I think it, I think, I think it depends on what side the military were to take, you know, like, you know, well, the, if, the, if, um... the, the military has sworn to protect and to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how, I mean, do you think that they're doing a good job at that? 
that's a whole nother story. I mean, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I mean, it's interesting. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if they are. You know, I mean, that's that's. I mean, I think they are. You know, I mean, I thought it was very powerful that after you know the election of the election loss of Donald Trump in 2020, and there was talk of of declaring martial law and having the military run another election that you know would be more favorable mm-hmm. to the guy who blatantly lost it. Um, that the mm-hmm. chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mike Milley, came out and gave a pretty powerful statement about the military's role, um, you know, within the United States of America and what they swear their allegiance to, and that is to a document and not a person. And that militaries have no uh, business interfering or conducting or, you know, you know, refereeing elections that was pretty powerful you know as yeah as somebody who you know like you know who and i care about the constitution and um and having him say that you know the highest ranking other underneath the president the highest ranking military official in america in the united states it was good to hear you know it was a clear separation between politics and military and he he was very blunt in the way that he said it i appreciated it yeah it's it's interesting because it's you know that could be if if that's the one guy that's standing between you know there was a book written by um gosh darn it of course i'm gonna blank on it but it's called um war is a racket and it was written by smedley butler who was a four-star general back in, gosh, man, probably the twenties. And back in the twenties, he, he had retired. I think it was the twenties people. If you're listening, forgive me if I'm crushing the dates here, but Smedley, Smedley Butler wrote a book called war is a racket. And in that book, he spoke about the U S military being the ground forces for the large multinational corporations. And when he came back, he wrote this book explaining that. And in the book, he says that he was pulled aside by large corporate interests and asked to take his leadership and take over the government on behalf of the corporations. And because he had done such good work for the corporations in South America for United Fruit Company that they were sure he was the guy that could take over America and, you know, lead sort of a fascist regime. And so it seems to me that, you know, that we're, we're, we're always in danger of that. We're always in danger of, um, we're always in danger of greed and selfishness and fascism in fact i think it was noam chomsky who said all nations are fascist it just depends on which agree to which degree they are fascist you know and if you look at whether it's the republicans or the democrats they always seem to be favoring a corporate interest you know and it it seems like that all the all the way through the um the uh You know, it just seems like it runs it runs all the way through the different different areas. What's your take on that? What's your take about you know governments, military, and fascism? And there seems to be a pattern there. 
<laughs> you want to talk to me about fascism? Oh, yeah, I, I mean, let's, we could throw it out there. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> Governments and military and fascism. Wow. That's a big one. It's huge, right? Um, you know, I mean, I, I agree with Noam Chomsky, you know, and I'm trying to remember what book that was from. Um, you know, there, there are, you know, there, there are pieces of fascism. There's piece, there's pieces of everything within our government and all governments, you know, there's fascism in this country, there's socialism in this country, you know, sure. there's authoritarian in this country. There's a lot of pieces of a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, I think the, the military and which is, which is kind of interesting about our military, and I think Mike Milley summed it up best when he said, we're the only country in the world that pledge allegiance to a document and not a government or a, you know, a person, a single individual mm. or, you know, um, and so I think, I think that right there was kind of the, the genius um, of our founding fathers and, um, and one of the guardrails to protect just through using, you know, the military as a way to, you know, to become a fascist state. Um, but for all different ways, you know, we're attempting it right now in this country, there's a lot of talk about populist, you know, like there's this populist workers movement in, uh, yeah. in America that, you know, over the last probably six, seven years has been growing and is, and uh, it probably peaked out, but it was, it was pretty strong a few years ago. Um, to me, that's, you know, populism is always a good pathway to fascism or authoritarianism or, you know, a dictatorship or communism. Um, and then in, in, you know, in, in a populist movement, you know, authoritarian, you know, um, um, fascism comes from the top down, you know, it's, it's uh, replacing all the people in power with people who've never experienced power and then you know, basically using the, the, you know, the writings of the constitution of the, 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 um, the constitution itself as a way to then control people through, you know, through a more fascist state. It's like Hitler, right? Hitler was a social Democrat who didn't have the, you know, who didn't have the, um, um, National you know, the majority of Germans, right? national socialist. Well, so he was a social Democrat and then mm. a national socialist mm. who didn't, who didn't have the, you know, the majority of Germans standing behind him when he seized power and then used, you know, the, basically the, the tools that were already in place in the, in, within Germany and then became uh, a nationalist socialist and, you know, and promised people, um, you know, in a sinking economy and, 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 you know, skyrocketing unemployment 
still found a way to appease people by setting up social programs that, you know, like daycare and, and education and, and, and labor and all the rest of those things. But he did it through populism, mm -hmm. right? There was this idea of, 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 um, you know, that the working class people, um, you know, should be running the country and not the, what he called the, the bourgeoisie, you know, needed to be replaced and the proletariats need to be, you know, running the country. And so you just kind of seeing that happen around the world right now. Right. I mean, they don't use Marxist terms. They don't use, um, you know, they don't use fascist terminology, but they're using their own brand of, of terminology and their own brands of symbolism to promote populist movements around the world, you know, to overthrow democracies and to overthrow, yeah. um, you know, republics. Yeah, I, I think it's a fascinating time to be alive. I, I really think that, you know, we're on the cusp of changing our forms, you know, and there's all this talk about, uh, socialism or there's all this talk about uh you know uh, uh capitalism and my idea of these two forces are like like we're this rocket ship in the middle and on one side you have capitalism and on one side you have socialism and they're they're like the scaffolding of the rocket and both of them are going to fall away and we are going to emerge as something better you know you saw you see china with a sort of state-run capitalism and you see in the United States, you have both sides flirting with extremism. You have the left and Antifa, you know, flirting with this idea of, of uh, socialism and this idea of a, a basic income, which, you know, I, I don't I, I, I'm, I'm on the fence. I, I kind of think a, a, a social or a, a, a basic income for people would be a good thing, you know, and I, I don't thoroughly, you know, ascribe to the idea that if you give people money they become fat and lazy and dumb like I, I don't i mean it seems to work pretty well for the banking industry it seems pretty seems to work pretty well to privatize all the profits and socialize all the loss socialize all the losses if in fact you're on the upper one percent like those guys seem to be doing pretty well and they they have taken this idea of privatizing profits and socializing losses but yet when the people on the bottom ask for that they go oh no 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 can't have that that's uh that never works but I, I think we're moving into something different and i i don't think we're gonna have the words to describe it but i can see it emerging you know i can see this new sort of maybe there's words to describe it paul maybe it's called terra libre uh yeah except for the basic income being provided by who yeah that's that's i think that that is you know the ideas of people on the top right now is like, we got to pay these people on the bottom, but the Terra Libre project, according to Ben is, you know, you don't necessarily need that income from people. What you need is a fair structure where people can embrace and empower one another. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, there's other ways to go about a basic income. How about um, affordable healthcare or free healthcare? You know, I mean, that saves people money. So instead of like giving them, you know, actual cash into their bank account, you're taking away financial burden. How about 
you know, how about making housing more affordable? I mean, there's, there's mechanisms in place that can be manipulated to achieve some of these goals without just, you know, putting everybody on the dole. You know, I think there's, let me, let me push back on that. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I, 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 okay. So, you know, I agree with you. I think that there are, and this is just sort of a, you know, a fact finding mission, but it seems like it's, it's a, it's a complex system. So, you know, we talk about giving free healthcare. So like, how do you do that though? Like, how do you, how do you give free healthcare without compromising the quality of healthcare in your opinion? Well, I mean, so you get what you pay for, right? And I think if you could easily do that, if, if the federal government spent money on healthcare like they do in the military, we would have free healthcare for everybody in America, no matter how old you were, no matter if you had already had a pre-existing condition, no matter what. And it would be the, by far the greatest healthcare in the history of the world. But we choose not to do that. Choose to spend that money on financing wars we choose to spend that money on you know on on the military industrial complex in america we choose to spend that money subsidizing you know um energy big business um you know the they the the wealthy and the elite have done a pretty good job over the last couple hundred years at um you know at making sure that the government works for them first and foremost before it does any before it works for anybody else and yeah. so we can change those things right like if we put if we put even like you know if we added another you know 10 or 15 percent from the defense budget the military budget into education into this country then we wouldn't be in the position that we are globally as far as education ranking if we did that with healthcare, we could put a huge dent in into not only how many people get covered uh, free with healthcare, but the quality of that free healthcare as well. You know, that's, that's always been the argument with, you know, between like the insurance companies, you know, and the government and the wealthy, you know, is that, um, oh, if you, if you make healthcare free, then the quality of health, healthcare is going down. It's because of an, an open and free market and competition and these soaring healthcare prices, which allows us to take that money and dump it into research, you know, to make, you know, to make better drugs or to come up with better physical therapy or new, you know, ways of treating different types of diseases or injuries or whatever it may be. And that's true. They're right in the sense that it takes money to do all that. They just want you to think that the money has to come from you and not from the government. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I think in, in an actuality, I, I think it's the same thing. You know, I was talking to Ben about this a while back and, you know, it seems to me that the military industrial complex, DARPA, the CIA, all these, all these giant entities, it used to be that you as the taxpayer, your money went to fund this research. Your money went to the colleges and you funded medical research. You funded technological research. You funded all these things. And then when the fruits of your labor, when the fruits of that research came to fruition and we got a new technological instrument or we got better industries, 
then the people re were rewarded for the money that they invested into that research. But what happened was all of a sudden this research that was done by the taxpayers' money through DARPA, through the military industrial complex, through the colleges, all of a sudden, as soon as they came up with something profitable, then that product was sold or turned into a private company and then sold back to the people. So it's like we, we paid for it twice. We paid for the research. We paid for the grants. We paid for all the doctors. We paid for everything to be done. And as soon as a product or service was made out of it, it was turned into a private company and sold back to us. And that can only happen so many times before the people become, you know, the, the cash cow no longer has the money to invest. And all those profits are soaked right to the top. And, that, and that, I think that that's why we were in the situation we're in now. There's no doubt in my mind that we could have free education. We could have free health care. We could have better services. You know, we could have all these things if we just got rid of some of the parasites, some of these middlemen, some of these private international businesses that have paid lobbyists to write the laws that allows them to do it. And I think that that's that's kind of where we're at right now. It seems to me that there's one group of people saying, look, if we just get back to capitalism, get away from this crony capitalism, then we can go back to making our country function in a way that works for everyone and this other group is like no it's too corrupt we'll never get back there those are good ideas but you'll never get there we got to tear it down and i think that what what gives me a voice or gives me or sets my heart alight a little bit is that if you look at that argument both sides want the same thing both sides want better communities both sides want better schools i don't care if you're red or you're blue or you're Trump, or you're Biden. When it comes down to it, both people want the system we have to be better. And I just think if we could start from there, if we could start with some common ground, then we could start to begin to build systems that work for everybody. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, but it's just like, it, it's, I don't know, when I, when I look at it, I just see, like, a mess upon mess upon mess upon mess, you know, and Why? getting to the bottom of that mess. Well, I think right. because of, I think because of laws, I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, interpretation of laws. Yep. Um, you know, I think that, you know, it's, I think that, you know, how can I put it? Um, this you know, we, we live in a society where people have a basic understanding of, of language, where people have a basic understanding of terms. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, there are rebel rousers out there that are trying to, you know, change definitions and change terms to create arguments to kind of convolute, you know, um, the, you know, what's happening in America. And I'm talking about like, when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to the military or, or any of these different things where the conversations like agreeing upon facts and, and um, it's, I mean, these are the fights that happen every day in the, you know, in the U S Supreme court, it's, it's about interpretation, right? It's about understanding yeah. what the laws are. And so I think so long as we have, you know, everything that has been ever written that's in the law 
or has been legislated, you know, is up for interpretation, then I think we're always going to have these types of problems unless we can get to a place, back to a place where we can all say, yeah, like, I understand what you mean when you say that. And I'm not going to complicate it. I'm not going to try to fuck it all up because we all can. You're a good debater. Like you, and that's part of the problem is there's some really good debaters out there. Right. And so, you know, when, when you put a bunch of good debaters in a room that they'll just pick apart anything, like, you know what I mean? Like, and they could basically make a point, you know, out of ridiculousness. And so we have to get back to like, like just back to the basics, I think, and really start looking at like, you know, laws and rules and regulations and all of these different things. And, you know, and some of these things, George, like laws that have been on the books for a long time that have never been revisited in 50, 60 years are so outdated. They're so, you know, they have nothing to do with, you know, society today. And so that's what I mean by like, you know, it's just mess upon mess upon mess, you know, until you get a group of people that are willing to work together as one and put aside whatever personal thoughts or feelings or ambitions that they may have about what it takes to, you know, be involved in government and to run a country until you can get them all to agree, then you're, we're just, we're going to continue, you know, doing what we're doing. It's like, why, why is, why, why are we arguing about like, you know, abortion in this country? It's so ridiculous. Why are we arguing about, you know, still having racial issues and arguing about race in this country and religion and all these things? Because you know why? Because that's all that's left. And it's the things that are, you know, that are always going to be there and things that people know that there will never be an agreement upon because we've legislated and freaking, you know, written laws and worked out a lot, a lot of shit. But now we're down to some nitty gritty stuff that's going to stop people from communicating with each other and stop people from coming together to visit, to, to revisit some of the laws and some of the regulations that we have in place that are inhibiting people from thriving. That's why. So I agree with a lot of that. What I what I would push back on is this idea that that's all that's left. I think I feel I don't like it seems so petty to me. And you know when I I know a lot of different people that I really care about it. You know when I get to have discussions with you or our friend Scott over here or Ben or Ranga or Kevin or all these people that we're lucky enough to to have conversations with some of the people in our family, even the people I don't agree with. I don't necessarily think they're petty, but it seems like that which we fight over is so petty. And I, I think that we're suffering from a lack of inspiration and a lack of imagination. And it's sad to me because it seems to me that when we come together, is when the towers are attacked. When we come together is when there is a crisis, sometimes manufactured, sometimes not manufactured. And I guess on my darker days, I'm wondering if, if on my darker days, I think to myself, that's the only way we're going to be brought together is through some huge crisis. And then, you know, you look at something like COVID that came. You could argue that COVID could have been something that unified everybody. And in fact, you know, a lot of times it's the invisible enemies that are used to bring people together, whether it's communism or whether it's terrorism 
or it's racism, you know, pick your ism. But it seems to be these invisible animals, these invisible tragedies that scare people into moving in a direction. And they work a lot of times. A lot of times those do, they do galvanize people, maybe not for the best, because I don't think, you know, I think you're, you're famous for saying people that live in fear tend to make bad decisions. And these, these isms and these things around us tend to symbolize a group of people living in fear. But what, what about the, like, why can't we, it seems to me what would galvanize the United States of America is a project that made all of us see ourselves in a better light. You know, if we had something to look forward to, if we had something to, uh, some, something to love, something to look forward to, something to be proud of, I think that that's the foundation to move any nation state forward. But there's too much money involved in breaking things up. You know, in that movie Pretty Woman where she dates Richard Gere and like all that guy does is he buys companies and breaks them up and sells them. We're no longer about building stuff. We're about breaking stuff down. So maybe if, if, if we could find a common goal to move towards. And I think, that that, I think that that's what global warming is. I think that that is what climate change is. I think that that's what space is. These are giant ideas that are made to bring people together. It's unfortunate that a lot of the parts of them are bullshit, but that's the idea behind these giant ideas. What do you think? I mean, it sounds good, but you know, you got to remember there's like 30% of the population that doesn't believe in those things that you think would unite us like science and global warming and and all the rest of that stuff that's and that's what i'm talking about right like it's 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 like facts are no longer facts they're your facts or my facts and then we can argue about you know whose facts are right and then and then and then because most americans don't know how to debate or don't know what a real argument actually looks like a productive one then you know then it just turns into mudslinging and and bullshit and then people walk away pissed you know, off and you know, and then like, hey, I'm right. And the other person's like, no, I'm right. And that's how it ends. Right. Not that, you know, I mean, that's to me, that's 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 what I'm talking about is like we're so like and, and the problem is, is, and I've said this, you know, 100 times to you, man, is that people don't know how to recognize when, you know, people are using bullshit arguments on them. And and so they they may actually accept that what this person just said then which could be completely absurd you know as being a, a relative part of this debate that they're having you know and so yeah i get it like you know i mean covid and, and all the rest of these things i think like someone's got to freaking drop a bomb on us to really bring us together you know, I, I, don't think, I, I, I don't i don't think any of that stuff is is you know because because like i said before man because you got a pretty large piece of the population here that just doesn't believe in any of that shit not because you know they actually have a better explanation as to why these things are happening it's just because they just don't believe they reject it that's a problem you know i i think that i think we could change it around like one thing people do love to do is yell at each other people like to to win in an argument people like that and I think we could leverage that. I think that we could start off, um, you know, what if we had like a, 
if a UFC of debating, like think about it. Like you could have like in, in my town of Mililani, there's all these like little places you can rent for birthdays or, you know, uh, uh, if you can do a show or something like that, like a little auditorium. I think you, you could start a debate circuit in your in your city. Once you once you won that debate, and like you can make it good. You can make it really entertaining. You could sell churros and sell some beers. You can make it an event. And you would have the best debaters in your city go up there and debate the topics. And once it got good, you know, once it got good, you can move those people into the counties, move those people from the counties into the, you know, state. You have a statewide debate. You know, this probably sounds a lot like how our government was formed. We got away from it. But I, I think you could revive that. I think if you had... You know, I think we've, we've spoke about having um, Eric Dyson on there with Jordan Peterson. Like, I've seen that debate. There's a there's a, a series of debates in Canada. I forgot exactly what they're called, but they had a tremendous debate. And I think people would tune in for that if we could just get, you know, I think people would tune in for that. And then people would start learning how to debate because they would watch their favorite debaters. They would learn about logical fallacies. That's a straw man. That's appeal to authority. That's an appeal to, you know all these different things. I think you could have people tune into that. I think that's all we need is just a reinvigorating course on debates. And if we had as much emphasis on debates as we do on, we just brought up another league, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe have, (laughs) maybe have a wet t-shirt contest in between the debaters, you know what I mean? Make it interesting. The American debate league of America. (laughs) Yeah, now you're talking, Paul. Tell me more about this American Debate League. Well, I mean, look, I, like you've talked about this before, and you, and you know, and like three or four times you bring up Eric Dyson. Yeah, because anybody would listen to. I I like to. I would listen to yeah. Eric Dyson. I would listen to Eric Dyson. You know, read the phone book. Right, because the guy's just interesting, yeah. and he has. And you can get the you can get the mega guys to get their best guy to watch him fight, and he. And he's got it. There's a certain cadence in the way that he talks, and you know. So Eric Dyson is, mm-hmm. is, but 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 let me tell you what, you know, most people, ninety nine point ninety nine percent of them out there that actually probably know how to debate, they're not Eric Dyson. They're like Bankman Fried's girlfriend. <laughs> what is up with that mess, man? That is crazy. You know, and, and it's you know, it's like it's like. Like most people don't want to watch a bunch of nerds, you know, go up there and 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 have debates. You know, mm. what are you going to be debating about? And you're right, and that's because you know people like to yell at each other, but that's not the way you win a debate. But people yeah, enjoy yeah. that. Like it's, I guess, they, you know, like if you, if you wrapped it up with like what is what is Dana White trying to do? Like the world slapping contest, like. He wants to get people mm. that are like, you know, slap each other in the face. Like, that'd be interesting. Like, you see him slap his wife? Yeah. So you have this debate, and then, like, whoever loses that round of the debate's got to stand there and hold some handles on a table and just take a smack from the guy that you're debating. But that would be interesting. Yeah! I would totally watch that. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's, you know. But, and I think that's, you know, you'd have to do something like that in order to sell it to like, you know, I mean, the American public, what did our friend Ben say? Most Americans have a sixth grade education. 
Okay, well, that doesn't make for really good freaking TV promotion debates. You know, if you think about it, it's like, oh, but, you know, guys are going to the- tune in on Tuesday night at 10 p.m. to watch you, you and I debate, or they're going to watch WWE wrestling. WWE wrestling? Yeah, well, I think you've all day, man. WWE is awesome. I remember going as a little kid and watching like Bam Bam Bigelow, and, you know, I. But, but but I think you did a good job of bringing those like marrying those two things. Like someone to get smacked when they if they, if you use a logical fallacy, you get smacked. You know what I mean? Oh, like you could bring up even be. if you just brought out the white glove, right? And then so people would actually want to pay attention and learn about some of these logical fallacies because they'd be sitting there listening to somebody make an argument. And then at home, they'd be like, ooh, he just red herring that thing big time. You know what I mean? And then sure enough, the red buzzer comes up like the gong from the gong show. You know, and the opponent gets to just rear back and just slash one across the person's face. That'd be really interesting. That would be interesting. You you would see people just bite their tongues. All of a sudden, people would back out. You know, you could have like it could take the place of the talk show. You could have, you could have Lex Friedman and Kanye West up there, and every time Kanye West used a logical fallacy, Lex could smack him. There would be people that would sign up for that, and I think it would make tons of money. And then you see now, now you could have it. Who would you have sponsor that? Like <laughs> Kleenex or someone? Like you would get Kleenex to sponsor it because then people would be crying. <laughs> No, man. You, you, <laughs> Band-Aid, you get Band-Aid to sponsor it because people get cut. Vaseline, yeah, you, have to, you get all you know, these you'd people. You'd have to have a bunch of, like, freaking some, like, you know, tax attorneys, you know, for all those freaking, <laughs> you know, like, you know, call call this guy, you know, <laughs> you know Mark E. Freed uh, for all of your, uh, you know, for all your tax needs. If, you know, the government after you, call Mark Freed, <laughs> you know. Like you would have to have that a bunch of DUI lawyers, you know, those guys can sponsor it. That'd be great. Yeah. I think tons of people would sponsor that. I would totally, I would watch that on pay-per-view. That would be great. And you could have, um, yeah. And then you could debate, you know, depending on what the debate was about, if it was about uh, drinking and driving, you know, then you could have like the car company sponsor it. You could have like Miller Lite sponsor it. You know, you could have. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think for something like that, you probably have like Lyft or Uber sponsor. You know what I mean? You don't want you don't want alcohol yes. companies sponsoring freaking debates about alcohol and drunk driving. You know, <laughs> maybe they have a better debater. You know, maybe maybe they bring in like a. You know, this this brings us back to like uh, you know the Greeks, where you had sophists. You know, you had you had the uh, Socrates that was all upset about sophistry and people coming in and learning how to argue just so that they can argue and win. Kind of brings us back to those times. But you would definitely get the WWE crowd involved in it if you could bring in like a controlled violence around it, right? And and what's wrong with controlled violence, man? I think we could use some of that. Well, I mean, I think the WWE crowd could be also the biggest beneficiaries of learning how to debate, you know, like, yeah, you know, like a lot of like the WWE crowd, like, holy shit. 
what would you win? Like if you if you came to this debate and if you use logical fallacies, you got slapped. Like what would you win at the end of the debate? Would there be like a would it be like a title fight and you would win like ten grand or, you know, would you win like a would it be more like of a, a old school um, uh, wheel of fortune where you could like pick different things or what, that's what, what I would win? Thinking. You know, like 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 a Price is Right, like you know, yeah, trip for two to the Bahamas. Yeah, and then you could. Uh... <laughs> that would be epic. I think we're on to something here. <laughs> Debating for those of you just like imagine like taking your kids on Thursdays to go watch a debate, and you come up to like walk through the line. You can get some popcorn. You find your seat, and maybe there's maybe it's like boxing because there's like five, there's six debates. Like you have the undercard, and you talk about. Maybe the, the top card would be like um, uh, Citizens United. You know that would be the that would be the top heavyweight fight of the night. But all, all, along the way, you have like um, uh, you know like some of the debates about um, what, what is that thing called when you get into school if you're a minority but you're um, you, you're not a minority. Yeah, you could have affirmative action or you could have these different things on the way up, and so. If you use a logical fallacy, the person would, would a referee come in and blow a whistle, and then you get time, you get smacked. Like I, I think that they would have to, you have to go to the judges. Okay, judges, was that a, was that a uh, logical fallacy? And you get four judges over there, and they all raise their red panel, and the other person slaps on a white glove and smack them. Like I, I think that that would work, man. I think a lot of people would enjoy that. I would totally watch that. I'd totally watch that. Wouldn't you? I don't. I don't, I don't know if I would. Um, oh, you would. Why wouldn't you? Um, I mean, it depends on you know what they were debating about. Okay, so right. we should make the we should make the community get to vote on what the debate's about. Now, now you'd have to watch it. Maybe yeah, the kids I, in the high schools could like like they could come up with with what it is, and you have to. It would be like Hunger Games because either someone in the community had to go and debate, or we went and chose somebody to debate. How about that? Put a little twist on it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's the debate topics would definitely be interesting, right? You'd have to make them really interesting, like people, something that people cared about, and then, and then there would yes. have to be some sort of like education, and you'd need, you need like a Vanna White up there, you know? Yes, I agree. You, you know, you need you'd need you need someone like that up there, and then you would need. Like who would host something like that? Ooh, you know. I mean, yeah. that's that's the thing. It's like who would who, be a good? Host? I think a Joe Rogan host it maybe. <laughs> I don't think that guy. That guy just, okay, okay. Someone, else. someone else. Someone who understood debate. I think. Is, who is like the most beautiful woman that would be perfect to host that? Can you think of like a really intelligent, beautiful woman that would be perfect to host it? I don't know. Maybe get Taylor Swift to host it. Oh my God, is she smart? I don't even she's know like, anything she's about. She's pretty it. intelligent to me. Really? Yeah, she. I think she is. Yeah, I've heard her talk a couple of times, but I, 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 I like her. But she's kind of pop star. Okay, so who else could we get? Scott, She's who would you get star. to? Um, she is the epitome of pop star. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, she know, is the epitome I, of pop star. She is the epitome of pop star. You know, I don't know. I'm just trying to think if there's, you know, like, like who out there understands the bait and is a beautiful woman. You know, it's interesting, and it depends on your taste, man, is um, uh, what's her, Laura Coates from CNN. I don't, Look her up. I don't, I will. I'll have to check Laura Coates. She sounds like yeah. she's kind of leaning left, though. You kind of want to find someone partisan. She's um, trying to think outside the news industry, maybe. Well, I'm talking but, about like I mean, you know, like you know, beautiful woman who is uh, who's who's smart, right? Mm, true. Um, you know, I mean, geez, who else? Yeah, maybe somebody outside the news world. I mean, I just don't. I don't pay attention to like pop stars. I know, me neither. So I don't. I, I wouldn't really know like who's who's smart. It's like Taylor Swift. I don't listen to her music. I don't think I've ever heard her say anything except for like, I don't know, like you know, you know, you know. I want to thank my producers and my, you know, and my crew for helping me make this beautiful album or whatever. You know, I, I don't know. That's a tough one. You know, like you'd, you'd have to get somebody yeah. that you know, <clears throat> like. I mean, there are definitely some, you know, the, you know, like who's kind of nerdy, but sexy, smart. Yeah. That's I don't know. Yeah. I don't I, know. I hardly spend any time watching television. So uh, it's difficult for me to, to do that. And when I think of beautiful women, the only woman I can think of is my wife. So, man. Yeah. Is she standing right behind you? <laughs> It's true. It's true. I just, I guess I'm not the type of guy, you know, what are you going to do? <sighs> hmm. Huh. I don't know, but I mean, so you find somebody like that, right? Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, then you, you know, you got to have like a handsome guy too. You know what I'm saying? That are like, sure. And they're, you know, and they're debating, you know, and, and maybe they represent sides and maybe each week they pick a different side to represent. Yeah. You know? I like um, that. And and then you know, and then maybe you hope you know a handful of people tune in and watch. You know, it's debates. Yeah, it's debates. It's yeah. like you know, and it has. I mean, it would have real consequences. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like you know, like it's it's debates with like, um, you know, yeah, with with that that thing Dana White's trying to start with people slapping each other. Yeah, and. Um, and would you would it go in rounds? Would they would they would they debate like three minutes, and there could be three people you could get slapped within that three minutes, like uh, three times, or would it be at the end of a round you would get three slaps? Well, then, so like, can you bow out? You know, like mm, I think you'd have to be able to like throw in the towel, like boxing. Yeah, you'd have to be able to but walk I away, right? and and then like you, but then. But then, what are you teaching people? You're teaching people like, man, this guy was right more often than he was wrong. Well, I think Button made really arguments, but he bowed out and lost because yeah. he couldn't take it back in the face ten times. You know. Well, I think that when you bow out, there's a button, and and like you know how like when you were little and your cousin beat you up or something, you had to say uncle. I think if you're in a debate and you're using logical fallacies, but you don't want to get slapped, then you have to hit the button and say, "I'm a dummy. I'm a dummy." You have to do it three times. And now everybody well, knows that you're a dummy. Well, let's, I mean, let's. I'm a dummy. I'm a dummy. I'm a dummy. 
here's the problem is I think a lot of people who okay. would be up there and um, and not understanding like, you know, real debate and would be doing like, you know, using some of those poor forms of communication and they'd be getting slapped all the time, but maybe they could just take it. And then, you know, then like mm. the, the, the guy who actually knows how to debate, maybe he's a little bit nerdy, you know, and he gets slapped once and he's out. He clearly won the debate or was winning the debate, but, but he just didn't, he, he took one smack on the face from this other guy and, and that was all he was willing to do. And he bowed out, you know, so what are you teaching people? You're teaching people like, Oh, just hang in there. You know what I mean? Like might is right. And, um, you know, and that's that's how you win a debate. You know, and then pretty soon you got nope. kids on the play school. You know, like parents are getting called up because, you know, little Johnny, you know, and little Mikey were playing this little debate game that they saw their parents watch on TV the night before and they're out there smacking each other in the face. You know, well, I mean... As, lo as long as they're learning about logical fallacies. Like, because if you don't commit any logical fallacies, you're never going to get hit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But then they're also, you know, but yeah, I guess, but it's a really harsh way to kind of, I mean, you know, maybe there's something, you know, I don't know, electrical shock or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But okay. So then at the end though, I, I think what we're missing, like, how do you win? Like you would have to win well, by applause or, you know what they do in the, in these other debates that I saw is like when people come in, they say, who like they they say raise your hand if you're on this side raise your hand if you're on this side raise your hand if you're undecided and then they take that group of people that are undecided and then at the end of the debate they tally it all up and say 54 percent of people now believe this and they they figure out that the debate swung the undecided group over to this side so that's how you would win. So you could theoretically take like four slaps to the face. And as long as you didn't bow out and the crowd voted for you at the end, then you won the debate. Right. But the problem is, it's like I said before, like some guy could be using all types of ridiculous arguments and been slapped 10 times, but he's just eating the slaps. He doesn't care. Right. He's just like, I'll give me another slap. I'm going to eat it, you know? And then, and then the, the other guy fucks up once. Right. And he doesn't want to eat the slaps. Right. He took that slap and and that's it for him. He's bowing out. Well, you know, after one slap, he's done. But he clearly was winning the argument. Right. But who's standing there is the victor, the guy who took 10 slaps to the face, who just ate them all and didn't care. You know, so now you have a winner. I guess how life works. I think it's a great way. Like sometimes life works like that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes, Sometimes life works like life that. Works like That's that. how it works. It does. It, yeah, but now you just <laughs> defeated the whole purpose of this thing, George. Like, you, what are you teaching people? Now you're messaging of like, hey, we're going to use. You teach them life, and we're going to yeah, and we're going to get that. So that's like, there's many other ways you can teach people about life than actually trying to, you know, you're kind of undermining, um, you know, this idea. No, because that, that would only happen a few times. Like most I people, mean, that wouldn't happen most times. Only a few times would that happen. And when it does happen, it's like it's like the Romans that were like, let him live. Let him live. He took five slaps to the face and he had some funny stuff. Let him live. I don't know. Maybe. I think, I think maybe, it works. I don't know. Maybe for every time that the other guy has to take a slap to the face, that the guy giving the slap. Maybe he gets to like if he you know now he's got a maybe he's got a 
you know, like there's only a degree, like the guy can only rear back, you know, like eight inches from his face and slap as hard as he can. You know what I mean? Because, you know, he's losing, you know what I mean? Or the guy's so far ahead that, you know, like maybe he could earn, he can earn a helmet. How do you earn a helmet? By by slapping the other guy ten times, right? It's like, like I'm making good points this. allows you to buy protective gear. <laughs> yeah, wins allow also allow you to put on protective gear, like or you have you can limit the amount oh, the yeah. guy can rear he slaps you. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, like so the first round, like if you fuck up one time, right? So the first person to fucked up, fuck up. You know what I mean? That that person's kind of fucked because you can just rear back and just bam. But at the same time, like I got to rear all the way back and smack the shit out of this guy. And like, if I lose, if I fuck up next, then, you know, like I can actually put on like, uh, like a head sock to kind of soften the blow a little bit, you know, but if I, if, if, if I get to slap this guy twice, then maybe I get a head sock. And on top of that, the guy, if, you know, if I end up making a mistake, you know, now I have a head sock and the next thing that I won is that. The guy can't reach back from my cheek more than twelve inches before he slaps me, so he can only get so much force, right? Just like, you know what I'm saying? So now I got a head sock on, and this yeah. guy is is you know, but then but then now now because he got you right, and you you had to take one with the head sock on and twelve inches of rearing back from your cheek, that you know now. Now I, you know, like now you're inhibited in some way. So I get to put on the head sock next time or something. You know what I mean? Like you could have it, you know, so, you know, if it's equal, people are smacking each other and it's funny and they're kind of getting hurt, but they're not really, you know, it's going to reward the person who is actually winning the debate. Yeah. And it just came to my mind, like it would be a really dumb thing to put a helmet on because a helmet doesn't even protect your face. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like if you put well, on a helmet in a slap fight, like what the like, <laughs> it wouldn't really help you. But, but that's the first thing I thought of. Like I'd get a helmet, and I'm like that'd be the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Because, <laughs> and it's what what if like your chair automatically like when you were wrong, like your chair came forward, and, like you leaned in further. That way the guy could get like a better smack at you too. That'd be a pretty good one. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, there's all kinds of things. I mean, people make up these game shows, bro. I and mean, that's what it's turning into, right? As a game show. Yeah, right? it is. I know. Uh, we just kind of went know, off the rails, but that was fun. Yeah, but pretty soon, you know, like the debate thing is 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 not even. No one's going to care about that anymore. People are just going to tune in to watch people, you know, slap the shit out of each other. Right. Know, which I mean, that's, kinda, that's we kind of lost it. And if you, you know, and if you just taught people just a, a little bit of something every night then i guess that's worth something right yeah i it sucks that we we have to see this is exactly what happens like it starts off with like a good idea and then it just turns into like violence and debauchery like that's the same thing that happens with our like you could see in that conversation we just had there how a good idea slowly gets perverted into something where people would tune into it. You know, it doesn't have to be that way, but that stuff makes it much more entertaining. And I think that that could be a problem for the humankind is the fact that, you know, it's like, it's like that movie gladiator 
are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Like it seems to us like we have to like dial it up. You know, the same thing with drugs. Like everyone wants maximum strength, you know, uh, like they, give me the drug that'll kill me and then just back it off a little bit. Like we, we, we want the maximum on there. It's, uh, maybe it's human nature that makes us argumentative. Maybe it's human nature that makes us almost ungovernable. And maybe this idea of us being ungovernable is the thing that's beautiful about us. Well, I mean, you know, this is the country where there's a lot of emphasis put on the individual, you know, where it's like the individual yeah. before the community. Right. And so, you know, when, when you have a system set up like that, then you're, you're asking for confrontation, you know, we're, yeah, the West is a lot built of on that. Yeah, there's not a lot of countries out there that are like that, right? Where it's, you know, most most places that I've been to are community first, you know. It's, it's community first and the individual comes second. But, you know, in, in, in the United States of America, there's a huge emphasis, you know. And it's, in you know, that the individual, you know, individual liberties, individual freedoms, whatever you want to call them you know, are, you know, are, are what's more important. But isn't there something beautiful about that, about rugged individualism? Isn't there something beautiful about the the guy or the woman that can go out and make their own way and create a life worth living for themselves? Like, isn't that, I mean, maybe I'm romanticizing it, but I like to think that I'm an individual that doesn't, everybody needs help and you're probably better with a team. However, all, or at least in the West, we fantasize about being the one person that can go out there and make it happen. And it's in our stories, it's in our poems, it's celebrated, and it, it is uniquely Western, this idea of the individual going out and making their own way. You know, and, and I can't help but think it's it's beautiful in a way, and it's, it's something to aspire to. And I think maybe the argument against or that gets put out there sometimes against community is that, you know, you, if you're just part of the community, if you're just part of this team, then you never have the chance of rising above everyone. What do you think? Um, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how important rising above everyone else is. Being the best. You got to be the best, Paul. Well, you you're can, the best but... beekeeper out there. And it's, but it's always, it's always been like that, even within community first societies. Right. But it's within the, I don't know. I've never lived in one. It, it works within the confines or within the rules of the community. You know, like there's nothing wrong with being the best warrior. Right. Because it's a benefit for the community, you know, but there's something wrong, you know, with being the guy who's stacked up, you know, whatever currency that a, that a that a society is using, you know, while everybody else is suffering around them, mm. that's that's not operating within the con, you know, within the within the you know the the rules and the parameters of actually being part of a community based society. You know, so in some in some cases, yeah, it is. It's great to be the best. You know, it's good if you're if if what you're doing um, at the very highest level you know, not only benefits you, but benefits the people around you, then that's good. But if that's if what you're doing at the highest level 
is taking away from the people around you, then that's not a good thing. Okay, that's and the problem. We, like when you look at the leaders today, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. And we live in a society where that's very much accepted, right? Where like, if, if so yeah. long as you're doing, you know, good for yourself, it doesn't matter who around you you're taking from or, you know, you know, yeah. you're, you're lessening the quality of life of the people around you. And sometimes those people are your immediate family. And that's still accepted in this country. And that's not even accepted. You know, it's, it's, it's not true for every American, but but it could be true, you know, because it, you know, and to a pretty large extent, it is socially acceptable to be that way. You know, in some ways, it makes me think like, uh, you know, the corporate structure has taken over the family, and and here's here's why that's a problem. Like, the warrior. In the the warrior and the hunter hunter and gatherer tribe, he gets the big piece of meat and he gets the most beautiful girl because he provides something that is that is a necessity for the group. He's looked up to, he's idolized because he provides so much for the group. When you look at a Wall Street trader, they don't provide anything except their immediate family and themselves. The reward system we have put in place, and mainly because of money, mainly because of we we idolize money or we 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 fetishize money so much. But the people in leadership positions today, they no longer provide for the community. They provide only for themselves. So maybe it's just the structure. You know, maybe if we got back to idolizing the people that do the most for the community. Maybe if the reward system rewarded those who did the best for the community, the world in which we live would become better. Yeah, but I think the problem is, is there's such a large portion of Americans who feel like they're standing at the edge of the cliff. And all it would take is just mm -hmm. a little nudge and they're going to, you know, fall into the abyss of freaking homelessness, you know, and foodlessness. And, and so... You know, so long as, as as Americans are like teetering between feast and famine, they're always gonna they're always gonna choose feast. So, you know, it's it's like Man. it's like we've we've created a, a, a you know a society where you know there's not a lot of middle ground anymore. You know, the middle class is being eroded away. You know, um, the gap between the poor and the wealthy continues to grow. Um the amount of wealth that's consolidated within the top 1% of the wealthiest people in this country, you know, outweighs everybody in the bottom, you know, 90% by, I forget what the number is, some like, you know, a hundred fold. And, and so we, we live in a, we live in a society where, where people think that at any moment due to illness, you know, due to unemployment, um, due to lack of housing where they could end up on the street. And so we create a desperate society. And so what we ask of our leaders is to be like, you know, it's, it's really tempting. I understand it, that you want to take all this money from special interest groups, but we're telling you not to do it. Well, it's, it's hard for them not to do it. You know, when they're, when they're like, what's the alternative, you know, especially for like a politician, like you're subject to the fickle will of the American voter. You could be doing a great job, fuck up once and you're out. And then what? 
you know, if you were a business owner and you had to turn that business over to somebody else or you had to sell that business so you can pursue your, you know, political ambitions, which may be solely to serve your community, you know, somebody comes out, makes a couple tweets about you that may or may not be true. They gain some momentum in your district. And next thing you know, you're freaking out of a job. And so people are going to take that money, you know, because the windfalls are real. Like the whole, the, the whole freaking system is, 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 you know, doesn't really support people who are out there that just want to do the good thing. Those, those days are, those, they're, they're, those, those days are dwindling, man. Yeah, I, I think know, that the system so what do you do? actually you, calls. You know, so what do you do? Like, like you know, stuff that I was talking about. Like, you know, I don't think I don't think we should be out there like writing checks for Americans. You know, I think that's kind of that's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, I think people should get up and go to work for it. But let's try to let's try to bring down the cost of living, or let's provide some service, some basic human services. I feel like if people are if people are healthy. Right, they're going to be more productive. It's proven. If people don't got to worry about yeah. like people out there that work 40, 50 years of their life and retire and make a nice little nest egg, only to get sick and then turn all that money over to the insurance companies, like that's a tragedy. Like no yeah. one should, no one should, no one should be facing that. And then so with stories out there like that, and those stories are real. You know, with, with those things happening, that's in the back of people's minds. So when some politician gets, you know, approached by a lobbyist or someone who's willing to throw some money at their campaign to kind of ensure that they're going to be help ensure that they'll be reelected because it takes money to be in politics. You know, they're going to take that. They're going to take that because we live in a desperate society. Take the desperation away and a lot of problems go away. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, and I think that that desperateness is something that is preached to us. You know, the same way that if you have a dog and you put him on a leash and for 10 years he just runs to the edge of the lawn and you take that leash off of him, he'll just run to the end of the end of the lawn. You know, I, I think that we become habit. It becomes a habit. You know, it becomes this. I, I think a lot of what we have right now is a a form of uh, false scarcity. You know, we, we have so much. We have so much. We can help out so many people, but yet so many people fall into the cracks and so few win. Like there's, there just seems, like you said, when it comes to the widening divide of people, like the wealth gap is continuing and continuing. And you know, I read a really good book by Thomas Piketty and it's called Capital. And he talks about capital from, far back as like the uh, early middle ages. And what he says is that capital, be it human capital or be it monetary capital, any form of capital, it has two states and throughout history. And he tricked the book is like a tome, man. It's like, like 1500 pages. It's really well done for people who are listening. The book's called uh, capital by Thomas Piketty. And in that book, what he says is the natural state of capital rises is, is in two classes. It, there's all of it up here and none of it down here. 
this idea of having a middle class is such a blip in the world of government and humankind. Like it doesn't happen. And what we have saw over the last, you know, 300 years is this weird state where all of a sudden there was this middle class and he goes through history and he goes, there's no, there's never a middle class. This thing that we have seen is an anomaly and it's going away. So what you're going to continue to see moving forward is the natural state of capital. And that is an incredibly wealthy class and a peasant class. And that's how society works. The idea of a middle class is an anomaly. It's going away. And, you know, when I read it, I was like, oh, man, this is it was really depressing because he laid everything out so well. And he had all these graphs and, you know, he marked down all these barom barometers and parameters. And I'm like, oh, dude, this is a very depressing book. And I, for a while, I set it down. I'm like, ah, this guy's not what the fuck he's talking about. But the more that I read the book and the more that I forced myself to finish him, the more that I realized this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. And he has documented this thing so well. He may not be able to predict the future, but if we look at the past and we say the best way to, you know, to to identify what's coming in the future is to look at past trends, then this guy nailed it. And it, it just seems like it's playing out. Like you can see that there's not really the will to create these programs to have the middle class stay there and that's where the money is the money's in the middle class and it's going to be it just seems like a pond that's drying up what do you think i mean i mean i kind of think that there's been i mean if you look at language there's always been words to describe you know middle class so i think it's been around um you know i think um you know i think i think it's it's taken different forms you know, over, over the centuries, um, you know, and I was talking about earlier about the bourgeoisie. Well, that's, you know, that's French and it's, it's a, it's a basically, you know, it's a, a Marx used it as, you know, in a, in a Marxist way, it's an aristocrat, somebody with power, but in, you know, the French describe it as being a landowner, more of a middle-class type person. Right. So it's always been, there's always been a middle-class um but what about not. like what about like in roman times like that's only like 300 years like we're like you know if you look at something like epochs you know and and it seems like royalty was always something like the hawaiians had a royal family the british had a royal family and when there's a royal family there's peasants there's peasants and royals i guess there's a merchant class usually but those are those might be the bourgeoisie like it, i don't know I kind of cut you off there, but carry on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I think the middle class has taken different forms, you know, um, and depending on you know the the time in history, and um, and the and the nation state. I think it's you know there has been clearly defined middle class, but um, you know not not like to the extent that FDR created. Um, you know, and I, I, I mean, I, I think that's where it is. I think, I think there's got to be a middle. You know, I, I don't think there can just be wealthy yeah. people and poor people. That's not going to work out. I mean, it's, that's what's happening now. I mean, you're seeing this rise of homelessness, you know, across the country. Um, you know, over the last shoot, I don't know, even like 20 years, right, where people are just jumping off the hamster wheel, man. They don't want to do it anymore. 
And of course, a lot of them are, you know, drug addicts and there's, you know, people on the streets that have mental issues, but there's a lot of people out there, you know, van life people, you know, camp life people that are just like, we're done. Like, I can't, I can't work 16 hours a day for a house that I never get to see and a family I never get to enjoy. You know, just, just, I mean, all I'm doing is just working to pay for bills, you know, and and maybe every once in a while I get a day off. And so I think, you know, I think, you know, we need to get to a, back to a place where like, I mean, this is the basic American dream. Like most people I talk to is like, Hey man, I just want to own my own home. I'd like to put my kids through college if they choose to go. And I like to take a vacation every once in a while. It's not a lot to ask, but those basic goals that people in this country enjoyed (laughs) up until, you know, until about the 1990, into the nineties, into, into the two thousands, you know, yeah. those, those, those basic goals are becoming harder and harder to obtain. And that's a problem. Yeah. Right. And, you know, for, for our country. It is. And I think we need to get back to, you know, get back to, like I said, I'm not, I'm not in favor of, you know, a basic income, but you know, there are, there are things we can do to, to help people, you know, especially like, I like the way that you put it, you know, through the use of grants and, and funding for yeah. and the universities and, and, you know, private corporations where, you know, scientific advancement has been made where there, or industrial advancement has been made. And then those advancements are then, you know, privatized and turned around and sold back to the American people at, you know, at whatever cost, you know. And, and so, like, if you think about that and you think about the, you know, the playing field kind of being tilted to one direction, then I, I think it's only fair that, that we're doing some things to help, you know, I think you keep energy, uh, energy costs low, you know, um, make housing yeah. prices fair, right? And, and kind of, like, start to weed out, like, giant land barons, you know, although I'm, I'm trying yeah. to become one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> almost for you know, the, you know, not for you know, just rules for the small yeah. people. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, but then you know, you do those things, and then you know, and 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 look, like all you know, like I said, it's like that's all people want to do around the world, right? Is like, yeah, I just want to go to work. I like to have a job that pays me enough so I can afford to, you know, take a vacation every once in a while, you know, family of four or whatever, right? You know, I want to put my kids through college, and 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 I want I don't, and I don't want to, you know, after I've worked my whole entire life, I don't want to have to, you know, give a you know a, a, a health care insurance company all of my money. Should I, you know, something happen to me that I didn't choose to happen? But that seems like yeah. that basic dream just seems so far away right now for so many people you know that it's like you know what 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 are we doing you know we're not no people aren't living anymore they're working yeah i go back and forth because like i i see all that and like i i know i have friends whose kids are having a real difficult time you know and i i try to empathize with them and be like Fuck, how this, like how are you supposed to f- afford a seven hundred thousand dollar house? You know, how are you supposed to be out on your own when you're eighteen and see these things? Like, but then on the flip side, I'm like, 
just do it the same way I did. Just fucking get some roommates and like struggle and fight and ask your parents and then have them tell you no a bunch of times and then realize they're not going to help you and then do it yourself. Find a way to do it yourself. I mean, you can. Like I, I, I think that maybe one thing people are struggling from and there's an epidemic of is belief in themselves. Like you can do it, man. Like it's, I, I, I struggle with this too, but the truth is if you're willing to look for opportunities and you're willing to fucking work harder than you, than you know you can, if you're willing to work really hard and you're willing to sacrifice and you're willing to look for opportunities, I think the world will reward you. You can make it. You can do almost anything if you have those three things and you know it's not fair. You know you can work hard and you know that you're, you're willing to sacrifice. I think if you just do those things, I think you can make it anywhere. And I, it's not easy. It's, 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 it's hard. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. And on some level, I realize that life throws you curveballs that you don't deserve. Sometimes life throws you a fastball and it hits you right in the face and your nose starts bleeding and you fall to the ground. But if you get back up, you're probably not going to get hit with another one for a while, at least a, a few innings. And I think if people had that attitude, they're just willing to go out there and say, I'm going to get up every time and you can throw me down. You know, Maybe there's things you can't get up from, but if you have that attitude, I think you can win in life. You may not have the giant house on the hill, but when it comes to Christmas, you get to put your arms around your wife and your kids and watch the fireworks and you have food in your fridge and a roof over your head and you realize you have everything you've ever needed. And I, I think that if that was the messaging, I think if more people believe that, the more people would live that and people would be better. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. You know, I mean, for the most part, I mean, that's, I mean, life should be a struggle. You know I mean? It shouldn't yeah. be easy. Yes, I agree. You know, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's what your reward system is based on, right? Without a struggle, there really is no reward, you know? So without the lows, there can't be the highs and without the highs, there really can't be the lows. You know, and so that, I mean, that's, that's what life is. Life is a series of ups and downs, you know, in, in, in Buddhist philosophy, it's about taking the, you know, the peaks and the valleys and kind of pulling them out. So the peaks aren't so high and yet the valleys aren't so low. And then somewhere in the middle, you can find peace. Right. Yeah. Because at either end of the spectrum, you're at risk. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, highs are great, but to, to really like understand and put them into perspective what those highs are and lows suck. We know this. And I've talked about this, right? You're living in the, the world of hell or hunger and, or animality. That's those yeah. are desperate places to be in. And so you kind of want to be, if you possibly can in the middle, right. And and working towards, you know, you know, sustaining some of the some of the higher worlds in life. But there you always need that contrast. That's just the way it is. You know, but you know, this we get some real problems and you know, it's going to take smart people to fix them. See, and this kind of brings us back full circle to the eye to the idea of you know, rugged individualism. And I think that's kind of how it got started is like, 
you can you can give charity and you can help people, but ultimately, people have to help themselves. Like no, like we all know people that have done a lot of drugs and shit. I'm probably one of them. But the people that hit rock bottom, they never go get help until they decide they need the help. Or the people that are taken away to places to get help, they usually relapse more than the person that goes there by themselves. Like you, you have to understand, I not only do you have to understand that you need help, but you have to be willing to ask for it. And that's fucking hard to do. It, it sounds easy. It sounds really easy. Just go ask for help. Like, but pride's a motherfucker, man. And people don't want to ask for help. But that's part of being. And, and sometimes I think that that's why we're here on this earth. Is that when you look at it, if you want to be dark about it or you want to go down these. Sometimes I do this. Like, it's basically you move from one tragedy. You're either in a tragedy, you're going into a tragedy, or you're coming out of a tragedy. And the fucking happiness is the time in between those things when you're not in it. What are you going to do with that time? In the middle of that time, are you going to sit back and worry about, you know, woes me? Or are you going to sit back and be like, this shit always happens to me? Or it's not fair, you know, or I can't do it because of this? Or are you going to be like, fuck, man, I better figure some shit out, dude. I hate where I'm, I hate this life I'm in. I, I don't want to continue to do this. Like, I, I think that that's kind of what, you know, if you look at life like a giant school and you're constantly getting beat up or you're constantly moving from tragedy to tragedy, what are you learning from the tragedies you were just in? Like, if you're not learning from the tragedy that you just went through, then you have to repeat it. It's like going to fifth grade. Like you got to go through fifth grade until you pass it. You got to keep going through the same tragedies in your life until you fix them. And congratulations, as soon as you fix that one, in three months, there's going to be another one. It's not going to be the same one. Now you get to move on to a different one. That's the levels yeah. of I don't think they're all, people, like, people go tragedy. through. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're all tragedies. I mean, I think there's different levels, right? No, you're right. Yeah, yeah you're right. You know, that's different. Dark, you know, they're, they're, yeah, they're well, it's, it goes to my point, what you were saying, you know, about, Tests. you know, from moving from one, you know, you're moving from one world into the other world, right, that are extremes. And in the middle, there's what you called happiness. I described it as peace, right? And so that's in the middle. Yeah. And so to try saying that is, you know, to me is like part of the goal in life, you know, is to, yeah. is to find peace and to... You know, and whether that's, you know, cutting out things in your life. Um, you know, I would, I, I've, I've talked to people like, you know, like newly practiced Buddhists. And I'm like, you know, if you sit in a field by yourself for a week, you're going to find peace. If you detach from the world, you will find peace. And people do that all the time, right? They, they some people call it meditation. Yeah. And, and, but it's, it's our interactions with other people is what brings life's challenges, right? So instead of tragedies, I would use challenges. I like you know? that. And, um, and so when you're moving in and out of challenges in life, hopefully you are learning, right? Because that's right. another Buddhist world that you want to be in is the world of learning. And that's a good place to be. And, you know, it's, it's, it's in those worlds where, you know, we can, act, where we can build the tools, right? Help, help hone the tools 
to you know yeah. to be able to sustain higher levels of 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 life being um but they all begin with like making mistakes you know they all begin with you know I, fuck i've made a lot of mistakes and man and it took a long time for me to to really like to actually take those mistakes and turn them into wisdom which is what you should be doing if you're making mistakes in life right like if you're going to get something out of it like you can be in the hell in the world yeah. of hell and you can be in the world of bodhisattva at the same time right you can exist in both of these worlds you can be in a state of hunger and be in a state of tranquility you know it's about extracting value from painful lessons or from challenges and turning them into something good you know so within all of these different worlds or realms you know we have the ability to take life lessons and however challenging they may be and turn them into something positive immediately but most people you know don't think in those terms right because most people like you said there's a lot of people out there that literally are walking from tragedy to tragedy there are people out there that are doing that and you know and so yeah. you know what happens to them is they end up in the world of animality right because those life experiences without any reflection on the value that they are actually getting from very tough life experiences you know will lead them into being animals and so the world of animality is one of the was one of the darkest places you can be in and that's one of the hardest worlds to escape you know because that actually takes reflection yeah you know and so yeah. you know uh, you know when you when you make mistakes in life and you have these challenges you know i'm a guy you know i've you know i've i've done time in a in a number of states for a number of reasons anywhere from you know from assault to illegal weapons and drugs and trafficking and um you know and a bunch of different things and and in some of those very low points in my life you know i've been you know i didn't always reflect on what it was i was doing i always accepted responsibility right i never pointed the fingers at anybody else if i ever stood in front of the judge the words out of my mouth was like yeah fuck yeah i did that you know was never like oh you know like this you know this this person made me do it or i didn't realize what was going on or you know what i mean i never did that shit. um but then at that same time i really wasn't learning either i was accepting responsibility but i wasn't learning you know it wasn't later on in life you know They're the last time that i did time in texas you know was was when i actually was like you know sitting in a jail cell and going yeah like i gotta you know, like I broke down because then I really started thinking about what I was doing to myself and my family and how my, you know, how my actions were affecting other people. And then that's when you really start to, you know, you really start to grow. You know, that's where growth occurs, you know. Yeah. It's the, it's the only, it's, it's necessary for there to be growth. Like you said, that's the only way growth can happen. You know what, Paul? I, I, like, I was I was curious if uh, you know we got our friend Scott here, and you had said something really powerful to me 
that was really positive about Scott. Like how, like you were like, for, for if you're listening, Scott, me and Paul had this conversation, and Paul was like, "So your friend Scott could be a fucking really powerful person." I was since Scott's here, I was wondering if you could tell if you could repeat that to me while he's listening here. Yeah, I don't need to do that. All right. Yeah. I I think that uh, you know, it's it is the tragedies in your life that allow you to grow, and that you can't actually move forward and really become another person. Like uh, sometimes I think it's those tragedies, man, that like, it's like the snake shedding its skin. You know, I was talking to Ben about this. Whenever a snake wants to shed its skin, it's forced to find a really rough patch of gravel or dirt. And it goes out there and it's, it's, you know, the rough patches are the spot where we find ourselves when we shed our skin. So the snake finds like a rough patch and it wiggles around and it starts at the, it starts at its mouth and then it has to like shed this entire body off of it. And while that happens, while that happens, like the snake is incredibly vulnerable. And a lot of times like a, a, a bird will fly by and grab it and kill it or, you know, a coyote will come out, but it has to make itself incredibly vulnerable in order to shed the skin and move forward with its life. And I, I think that's a good metaphor for, for us. Like if we want to become the person that we know we can be or that we're supposed to be or that life wants us to be, we have to shed our skin all these different times. And the only way to do that is to be vulnerable. The only way to do that is to find, is, is through a really rough patch Man, I, I heard that recently and I just, it just blew my mind because I'm like, God damn, man, it's, it's in the animal kingdom. It's, you know, it's a butterfly that be, it's a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. It's all these death and rebirth things that we happen, that happen to us and, and you get to emerge as this new form. And so it makes me sad sometimes when people don't learn or they have to keep repeating stuff. It's like, man, yeah, that's pain is there. I get it but it's so much more beautiful on the other side. And, and, and that's taking responsibility for maybe that's breaking down in a prison cell or losing a kid or, you know, losing an ex-wife or you know, there's all these things that it can be, but I just, if I can get one message out there and tell people, you know, a tragedy is like shedding your skin, man. What do you think about that metaphor? Yeah. You know, that I, those two mixed up. No, that was a good metaphor. Um, you know, because it, it, you know, it allows you, you know, I mean, when you hit rock bottom, man, and when you're at a place of complete desperation, you know, or you are, you know, you find yourself kind of throwing your, you, you know, giving yourself, you're putting yourself out there for mercy, right? You, you, yeah, you know, you're looking for friends, you're looking for, for people who will listen, who are anybody who will, you know, take time and give you attention, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it can be a very powerful place. It's very liberating, right? When you think about it, yeah. you know, tragedy can be liberating. Um, you know, it, you can, it gives people an opportunity to, to, you know, hit the reset button, you know, a little bit. Yeah. But hopefully you take those things and you, you know, and you really, you really digest them and you really think about them, you know? Yeah. And then you use those things to, you know, like, you know, to, to benefit other people. 
Right? Yeah, exactly. Like I've been through a lot of but, shit in my life, and right. and and you know, for some reason, and I've you know I've told you this before. People call me up all hours of the night, day, whenever. You know, friends of mine, they got problems. They want to talk to me. They show up here at my house. You know, yeah, um, unannounced, and and we chat. You know, and I and I'm and I'm and I'm I'm happy that I can be that person for you know, for friends and and even people as strangers. Man, I've had I've had strangers like sitting in the airport just open up to me and just start you know talking to me about a bunch of shit that's going on in their lives. You know, I've been on I've been on train rides where that stuff has happened. I've you know I've I've been in public places and had people just be like you know start talking to me about stuff. And you know, and it's and it's like you know it's, it's community, right? And you take those things and, and, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot portion of my life where I've just been like, you know, fuck you, you know, get out of my face. You know, I don't care about your problems. You know, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I go cry to somebody else. But then, you know, at some point in your life, you got to grow up. Some point in your life, you got to, you know, you got to think beyond the tip of your nose. You know, some point Mm -hmm. in your life, you got to, you got to decide that you, you know, you want to, you want to build bridges instead of burning them down. You want to help people instead of hurting them. You know, you want to, you know, you want to do, you want to do good instead of bad, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's like the basics of life, but it takes a lot. Of, it takes people a long time to get to that place. Some people never get there. Yeah. Right. Some people yeah. are so caught up in their own animalistic ways that, you know, and they get, they get into rhythms and whatever it may be, you know, the monotony of their life becomes too overwhelming. And so they, you know, whatever they turn to drugs and they drink, and I've done that, you know. Yeah. And, me too. And, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, you got to deal with some perspective, right? You, you know, you should be trying to gain something out of it. You know, for yourself, you know, life experience, or you know. A way to use those things and you know to to benefit other people, because if you're just out there, just like you know, only worried about yourself, then you, know, you might as well just jump off a fucking bridge. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I feel like the older I get, the more I realize that that's like the the real wealth out there. And don't get me wrong, like I, you know, if you can. If you're in a position where you, you got food in the fridge and a roof over your head, people that love you, you're pretty wealthy. But it seems to me that the older I get, the more I realize what's important is being able to help the people around you. You know, and, and, and that's where the wealth comes in because then all of a sudden you get this feeling about being good and doing good. And ultimately that's what money does. Money just gives you a feeling. Money just gives you this feeling of like, oh, I can buy whatever I want or I can money gives you freedom, but freedom gives you this feeling. And I, I think that being able to help other people to make everyone around you better provides that same kind of feeling. And uh, maybe I'm saying that because I'm not really wealthy, but I, I think <laughs> it's the same thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's like, I mean, some of the most effective people that I know, like communication wise, or, you know, I mean, just like role model type people, you know, you know they're attacked to be yeah. called you know, a role model. 
but are some of the people that have been through just the fucking shit in life, you know, people that just fucked up bad. Yeah. Right. When they're like, Hey, you know, I don't want to be that person anymore. And I want to, um, I'd like to take some of these life, you know, life experiences that I've had and I would like to share them for, with people and, yep. you know, people that can do that and become effective communicators and who yeah. can drop all the fear. I mean, that was me, right? Like when I was out there committing crime and doing freaking, you know, doing shit, it was all, it was all, it was based around fear, even though I was the guy that was like, you know, fuck the world, whatever, you know. But it was all, you know, it wasn't until I got older that I realized, wow, that was, I was, you were a scared young man, you know. Everything scared you, you know. Even though you were highly confrontational, everything fucking scared you. And Like, what's the relationship there? Like, can you break that down for us? Like, what, what do you, like, what does it mean to be scared but, like, committing crime? It's like, are you committing crime because you are scared? I don't understand that relationship. I mean, it's just a, it's just a fear of like, you know, there's there's rational fears, fears, George, and then there's irrational fears, and then there's fears that you can't escape, right? No matter how hard you try, you know, stuff that happened to you when you were a kid, you know, yeah. um, you know, you, you know, highly traumatic episodes within your life at any point in time, you know, um, <laughs> and so you always have these things within you, but it's about being able to look at those things and put them into, you know, in the context in your life and to not let those things shape the way you view the world. You know, it's like, it's like people, you listen to people, they, you know, they talk about like people that are xenophobic that are like, you know, Hey, you know, I know, I know people that are like, um, don't call, you know, I'm not xenophobic because xenophobia is the fear of immigrants and I fear nobody. Okay, that may be true, but when I listen to you talk and you're telling me that, you know, that gangsters and rapists and murderers are, and this is how you describe immigrants, right, are coming into this country, not saying that they're not, but when your focus is about, like, you know, the, like, these people being terrible people, when by and large, we know that most of the people, like immigrants that are coming to this country, just want a better life, right? They're like you and me, they just want to do better for their families. They want that dream that I talked about yeah. earlier, right? But they focus on the on the negative stuff. To, that's xenophobia, right? That's an that's an irrational fear. I mean, you have every right to be f afraid of rapists and murderers and freaking, you know, drug kingpins and gangsters. <laughs> you know that are they're going to come in and disturb your your community or maybe hurt a family member. That's real. But when you focus on those types of things, right now you're. And I'm not saying you wouldn't stand in front of one of those person and you know one of those people and go toe to toe. I'm not saying that. But it's it's the logic that would bring you to that point to standing in front of those people going toe to toe. That's fear based. But maybe you're. Ex and so for I, me, I agree. I'm, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So from when, when I'm young, younger, I was, like it was like that. It was there was a lot of anger, you know, and you know, and resents resentments mm -hmm. in life, and and so you know, it was it was about being confrontational. But all the things that I was angry about were you know usually had to do with like my irrational fears or my lack of understanding of what fear really is mm. and so as we get older right we mature hopefully right and so when i say people that i know that have been you know at the 
deepest, darkest places of hell and have returned. You know, I know guys that are, you know, that are, you know, I've told you about my family life, man. I got cousins that are still freaking in the deepest, darkest places of hell, and they're quite happy being there. You know, and they're out committing heinous crimes. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's basically every male in my family. And I was on that road, too. But it was about, you know, understanding, you know, and thank God for my mom, right? Like, I learned a lot from my mom. And, and it was about the understanding of, 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 you know, like what fear is, you know, because in her, I saw somebody who was strong, right? Cause my dad is like one of the worst human beings ever to walk earth. Right. And, and so like, I saw this woman who, you know, who took beatings and freaking, you know, and stood up to this man. Right. And, and got me away from this guy, you know, not all the time, but most of the time. And, and I saw the strength in her and what she did, you know, and I was just really like, wow, you know, but, you know, you know, I mean, not everybody, you know, not everybody is fortunate to have somebody in their life who can actually, you know, that has that type of strength. You know, a lot of people just give in to the abusers, give in to the fear. Man, it's it's so interesting. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that shit happened, man. It's a horrible thing. I I can't. It speaks volumes of the way in which you see the world when you when you get to learn about how the way someone was raised, man. And I I agree. Like, I, I know so many people that have had some very difficult challenges in their life and they, it sucks in so many ways, but it, it, it ends up being that which makes them so fucking interesting to me. You know, it's like, dude, how the fuck did you overcome that? Like, why, why do you think that? And when you get back to it, it's usually these horrible things that happen to you. Like that, that's what brings me back to my premise. Like, God damn it. Like the, the tragedies that we're forced to go through, they shape us. And a lot of times we feel as if we are in a position that we can't change anything. And it's half right. Like you can't change what happened to you. You can't change that horrible tragedy. You can't change that event, but you can change the meaning of it. And the story you just told me is the story of a young man changing the meaning of the events in his life. Like when you grow up and you saw these horrible things and you think about the courage of your mother to stand there in this abusive world. And all of a sudden you take the idea of courage is like, I will stand up. I will fucking fight anybody, man. I'll do this. You find yourself in, in prison or in court, you know? And then all of a sudden you understand that like, wait a minute, that's not the meaning of courage. I had it wrong. This is the meaning of courage, you know, and you like, that's a goddamn one of the greatest success stories I've ever seen in my life is someone going through a tragedy, taking the meaning that was kind of pushed on them and then understanding and creating a new meaning out of it. Like that's the, that's the, that's the hero's journey. You know, it's the, the ability to, to create the meaning of an event that was thrust upon you in a way like 
it's hard. It's hard to see tragedy as a gift because it, it, it takes years of experience of it's, it's like a, it's like a sword that you put into the, 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 you know, the, the fire. And then you got to take it out and fucking pound that thing. Pop, 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 pop. You put it back in the fire, pull it back out. And you pound it some more. You know, it seems that the more tempered that sword is, the stronger the steel, you know, but how many swords get broken in that process? And we see that happen all the time. And it's not a really great analogy because tons of parents and tons, tons of times the world breaks people. But when it doesn't, it seems that those people, a lot of those people can come out and do you, do you think that what happened to you has given you the ability to see it happening to other people? <clears throat> I don't know, man. It took a long time before I would even like, you know, like, like I said, man, my, you know, my, it, it, it took a long time before I'd even think about any of those things right in my life. Like I just, you know, as a kid, I just buried those things, you know, and, um, and it wasn't until, you know, it was actually quite recently in my life. Like I had this, you know, anger with my, with my dad for fucking most of my life you know but you know you get to a point in life where it's like you know i've kind of processed you a lot of that stuff you know and some of the things that i saw and and um and a lot of things that were said and um and then really had an opportunity to look at my you know look at my dad's life yeah you know um and to kind of, you know, see like how, you know, how he was raised, which he was, you know, he, he was tortured as a kid. You know, my auntie wrote a book, you know, and she would talk to me about it. And she actually wrote a book, you know, describing like, you know, her, her, her life, my, you know, my dad and her brothers, you know, life in Waimanalo and you know, basically where she just, she spends a lot of time talking about, you know, being pistol whipped and hung from trees and beaten and left there and, you know, and just straight up being tortured. My father was tortured when, you know, his whole childhood. And so he didn't know any better. He didn't know any different. You know, that was just the way, but it took me a long time to actually realize like, fuck, this is like, this is generational shit, you know? And those scars that my grandfather left on, on my family, um, they live within me, you know, they, they live within, within yeah. my kids. You know, I, I see the fallout and, and, you know, and, and most of my cousins, my brother, you know, and, and the lives that they've led, you know, for the most part have been tragic. And, um, and, you know, it, it, it's so it's hard for me, you know, to like, you know, because I, I communicate with my dad every once in a while. And it's hard for me to really like, you know, hate him with the magnitude that I once hated him, you know. Um, and I guess that's, you know, that's also that's me growing up and, um, you know, having kids of my own and. You know, and what it's taught me is just, you know, to try to be a much better father than my dad was. 
yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's life, life is interesting, man. You know, and I know people that have, you know, similar life experience and you would never know it. Right? You talk to these people and you would never know that they, you know, that they come from a violent world or they come from a world of drugs or they come from, because like when you go to school, when you're a kid and you're growing up and everybody kind of gets, you know, everybody's like right there, like freshly combed hair and brushed teeth and all that stuff. When you see them in the morning and it's kind of like, but you don't know what it took for, you know, for all those individuals to actually show up to school, you know, and, and for some of them, it was a miracle that they actually got there, but you never knew that, you know, and people don't talk about that stuff. Right. So, you know, we, we try to do what we can, you know, to, um, you know, to be compassionate, to have empathy, um, you know, and to, you know, and, and to care about each other. And that's kind of, that's what I've learned from, from seeing the stuff that I've, that I've seen in my life, you know, and I've, I've had other trials, you know, you know, I've, I lost a child and, yeah. you know, that's tremendously, you know, that's traumatic. That's that's a rock bottom experience, and so you know all of these things. You just try to, you know, you you try to you know pick yourself up off the mat and learn from your experience, and then you know, and then, and so you know what I found was is like people who who's who have um, who've experienced a tremendous amount of adversity in life, um, you know, can actually be really effective people later on in life, you know, if they choose to be. You know, they choose to have some communication skills if they choose to kind of move out of the world of fear, if they choose to, you know, reach out to their brothers and sisters in the community and to help people like they can be some of the most powerful people. In fact, some of the most powerful people I know, you know, came from those similar types of backgrounds. Yeah, it's. It's a common theme, you know, they, the, and it usually, it's usually a, the same way that abuses a pattern. So too is helping people a pattern. You know, when you look at the, when I look at the people that have helped me, they've been through something similar or, you know, when I've, I've talking to some friends who ended up being counselors at like a halfway house or counselors at like a drug rehab and they cite, you know, someone in their family that went through drugs or they, they cite their own story about how someone helped them when they do it. And it, you know, it's like this, you know, when we, when we talk about brothers and sisters and family, you have your family that you're given, that you're born into, but sometimes you have a family of people that you're drawn to, you know, like someone that does the same thing. You know, I, I talk to a lot of younger men at my work that, you know, like different races, different talk to some young women. I mentor a lot of people because I, I see myself in them. And I, I think some of them see themselves in me, you know, and I, I see them doing things. And I'm like, that way, what are you doing? That's the worst thing you can do. Why? Because these are the four things that are going to happen to you when that, when you do that. And after those four things happen, you only have two choices left. You're going to, you know, you pick this one and like, you know, it's, it's, that's the family that you you have a family that you're born into and maybe a family that you can have around you if you're willing to look at the people and see yourself in them i think that that's you know in in a strange way it's beautiful like i like i said i don't think 
the pain or the suffering or the tragedy or the torture is beautiful. But I think the fact that someone can go through that and come out a better person is beautiful. I'm not saying people should go through it. I'm just saying the fact that they do go through it and come out the other side is it, it's a it speaks volumes of the human condition. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, I mean, for, you know, the stuff that I've been through in my life, like I still, you know, consider myself to be a lucky person. You know, I'm still tremendously grateful, you know? And I guess that's... How do you maintain that? Like, will you always, do you think... What's that? Did you feel grateful when you were, did you, did you have that gratefulness? Like when you found yourself in jail, like, were you grateful then? Or is this something that kind of manifested after going through some tough times? Were you always grateful? Did you always think you were lucky? Or is nope. this something that happened in the last 20 years or 10 years or what? Yeah, it's been in the last, you know, well, I mean, I don't know, the last time I was in jail wasn't that long ago, but, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> But, you know, it's, um, yeah, you know, you, um, I mean, for me, it was like kind of just looking around, right. You know, at, at, um, you know, at my life and, and, um, and just being thankful, right. For the people that I do have in my life, however few there are. Right. And, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, just trying to see the world as being, you know, like the glass of being half full and not half empty. And that's, like I said, that's kind of comes out of like, because when I was, you know, when I was, you know, a fear-based person and I used to be one, right, then that would never look at the world that way. You know, super pessimistic, you know, all these freaking evil forces moving about the world that are out to get me, you know, you know, with politicians or whatever they may be, the police, you know, all this different stuff. And it was all, you know, it was all just, you know, being a person who lived in fear. Um, and then when I started moving out of the world of fear, right, then, um, you know, it allowed me to kind of, you know, to kind of take a step back and, and look at my life and, you know, look at, you know, kind of analyze the, you know, some of the things that I, that I, I thought were true in my life and realize that they're not true. And, um, yeah. And, and just kind of be, it's like, you know, like talking with you, you know, it's like, I, you know, you and I debate, yeah, um, all time. yeah, we do. But, um, you know, I, as you know, like I'm only willing to debate certain things. I don't, I don't, there's things that you like to talk about that I don't want to discuss because, you know, it's not my style. I don't, I'm not, you know, like, like, especially like conspiracy theory shit, you know? Um, and so for me, you know, like I used to be one of those guys and, and so not so much anymore, you know, and not to say that some of those things don't have some truths to them, but you know, it's about freaking, it's about leveling out the valleys and the peaks and trying to find a middle ground and, and finding peace, you know, but still also have convictions, right? It's a, it's a balance. Yeah. Yeah, I heard a good quote recently that said the, this guy said, I have a good philosophy for attaining my goals. And it's pretty simple. 
All I need to do is see where I'm at now and see where I need to go and then visualize the road to get there. But the tricky part is visualizing the road. You know, like think about all the things you have to do to get there. And then is it worth it? I thought that was a pretty good visualization. Because like if, if, if you look at your goal, if your goal is, you know, pick whatever your goal is. Are you willing to do the things it takes to get there? You know, what if your goal is to have a billion dollars? And you go, okay, well, how would you do it? Well, I would have to sacrifice my family, my house. I have to do all these things in order to get to that goal. And you go, man, it's not really worth it. Why would I do that? I think it's a good, it's kind of a good rocking chair test. You know, like the rocking chair test is if you hold, hold an idea in your mind and imagine yourself in your rocking chair at the age of 80 and you wish you would have done it, then you, you should probably do it now. That's the rocking chair test. <coughs> Yeah. But yeah, it's, hey, it's, you know, I think you, uh, I don't know. It's kind of funny. I just checked the chat on this thing. Yeah. And so I guess that's what you mean by your buddy was freaking back. I don't know if you, if you guys are having a conversation or whatever, but if you want me to jump off, man, you want to bring him on and you guys can do some podcasting. I can do that. You know? No, I just wanted, I mean, uh, I was reading his chats. I love you, Scott. And I, uh, I think you should read that chat. And he talked about how much he liked you, Edgar. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty nice olive branch. Maybe I'll get Paul to do it, see if he wants to say something. But I don't really care. I love you guys both. But, uh, yeah, I, I think there's something to be said about tragedy. You know what I mean? I think that there's something to be said about the path that every individual has to go on. And even though, like, you and I have our own stories about the tragedies that we went through. I think everybody has that story, Paul. It may not be as Absolutely. tragic or as magnificent, but everybody has that, right? Absolutely, man. I've had I I know that whatever my life has been, and I'm not complaining, you know. Um yeah. it's been better than a lot of people and it's been worse than some. You know, and I you know, it depends on how you look at it and it depends on, you know, on on what you think is actually tragic and what you think is not. Right? Yeah, so it's true. like you know, I'm not out there like I've never been one and, you know, to, you know, I'm not trying to compare my life to anybody else's life. It's just my life experience. You know, I mean, I, do I know that there's people out there that have suffered more than me? Oh, hell yeah. Like, I'm not blind to that at all, you know. And but what I am saying is that is that whatever those things are in your life that have been challenging. Right. So that's why I was like, you know, I wanted to move away from using the word tragedies and the move into the use of mm. the word challenges right mm, and yeah and so the varying degrees of challenge you know that um you know there's you can exist in both of those worlds and that's that's what you were saying how you can be like in this you know in the darkest deepest pits of hell and still be grateful yeah. like that is possible right mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and, and i talk about buddhism because buddhism teaches you that yeah. Right. You, 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 you know, you, you can, and I guess it depends on, on, on how present you are in your own life. Right. And I, I went, I went long periods of time without, like it was some sort of autopilot that I didn't even think that I had any control over. I didn't even know like what my, you know, rationale for my, what my decision-making process was when I think about, you know, when I was a young man, right. Or a teenager. And, um, 
you know, because it seems like, you know, I've, I've told you, like, I described myself as a very primitive person back then, right? Just like the whole, the whole, you know, the whole mindset, the whole, the outlook on life and, and, um, you know, very animalistic. Yeah. And, and so, and I, and I look at those times as like, yeah, I had some fun and, um, and there were a lot of challenges and there's a lot of trouble, but, um, you know, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I would, I like, I like living how I'm living now. You know what I'm saying? Compared to how I was back then, because yeah. it almost seems kind of like a dark period, you know? And so I guess we, we, you know, we have these periods in life and we, you know, we move through them, right? And hopefully we're learning as we're moving through them. And then we're able to come out of the other side, you know, a better person, you know, with wisdom. And I think that's the key, right? It's like, it's like wisdom is the key. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I, um, I don't know. For some reason, I like the word tragedy. I, I don't. I don't know why. I, I can understand wanting to use challenge to be a way in which people could see it differently. But I, I think, I do. Th Sometimes I think that, you know, going through those challenges in your life, like you really, you can't pick your parents, and you can't choose what happens to you. And it's it's just so weird to me that like. When I look back at some of the things that I went through, I'm kind of thankful for them. Like I don't wish them on anybody, but I'm kind of thankful that I had that experience. And I guess the question would be like, why are you thankful for that? And I, I think the answer to that is because I found the courage to get through it, and I'm better because of it. You know, I, like I, I don't want to repeat it. I don't wish it on anybody else, but I'm thankful that I. I got through it, you know, and it, once you get that to that spot, I think you can start looking for like, well, how did I get through it? Well, I had some cool people around me. Well, I, I found, I dug down deep and I found out who I really am. I did some soul searching, you know, and maybe it just comes down to the experiences in life that are so meaningful. Maybe, maybe that's another way to look at it. Maybe, Maybe that's why you, why you later in life are thankful. You know, you have because of all those things you went through. Now you don't have them, and now it's leveled out, and now there's no more peaks and no more real valleys. But now you have found this road that you can travel without all the giant boulders falling on you. Maybe that's where the thankfulness comes from. But that that would still mean it comes from that experience. It's crazy to think about it. On some level, like once you get through all these tragedies and challenges, now your kid's gonna go through them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, now I gotta deal with it from a different angle. It's crazy to think about. It is. And you know, I think I think, you know, you're you know, you're thankful for those challenges that you went through when you were younger. You know what I mean? And however way you made however it was that yeah. you made your way challenges, I think you can say that, George, yeah. because you're happy with yourself today. Like, I think, mm, I think you're secure. That's a I great point. I think you're secure, you know, with yourself. And I think you're happy with yourself today. And so all of those things made you who you are. Right. And, and I you think like for people things, that are, so you, can't, you can be happy. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think for people who are, 
you know, who are not happy with themselves and they'll look at those challenges in life and, and, um, you know, they'll, they'll have a different outlook than you did. Yeah. 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 And so it, it, you know, it's weird. Like, you know, you think about like how we become who we are because we're constantly evolving. Right. Yeah. Like one of us can freaking, you know, like have something happen tomorrow. We go off the deep end. Right. Totally. And then, you know, and then, and then we could, we could, we could live lives of despair and, um, and then look back at your life and think, wow, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy with myself and my whole entire life was a, it was one giant tragedy that I was never able to overcome. Well, I mean, you've had a lot of yeah. challenges and you overcome them and you overcame them. And so you, you know, you're happy with yourself and it's, you know, anyways, I mean, I think that's, you know, I think that's kind of how it works, you know? Yeah, it's a great point. I never really, I mean, I guess I should have thought of that, but yeah, I, I guess thankfulness and gratitude are a derivative of making peace of the previous tragedies in your life. You understand? Like, but that's, yeah, God well damn, put. that's. Well put. I should write that down, man. That was pretty good. <laughs> God, but it's, damn you know, it. yeah. it's absolutely true. You know, it's absolutely true. Yeah. It's so hard to get there. It's so hard to get there, Paul, because like, how many it's sleepless nights have you had where nights just fucking, just fucking days of doing drugs with people to get to there. You know what I mean? Like just oh. for days, man, trying to figure shit out. Yeah. And Crazy. like, and, and like not even not getting anywhere. Yeah. It just get, get worse. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's funny looking back at it, but it's not funny when it happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how life is. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's, it's, um, you know, we live, even though you can live the most simple life, but in fact, it's pretty complicated, you know? Yes. That's well, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's because, you know, we, we live with, you know, we, we're living in the present. We're living in the future. We're living in the past. We have karma that connects all of that together. Right. And, and, yeah. and it's that karma, right. From that we inherit from our parents, right. Generational karma. Mm. And the karma that we have created for ourselves in our past and the karma that we will have in the future, there's an intersection where all those things meet and that's called you. And mm -hmm. so we are constantly having to, you know, to deal with all of those things. Right. I understand. Like I have, you know, I see it in my kids, man. And, and, and I saw it in myself, you know, and I, and I, and I talked to enough of my family that I realized like, yeah, I'm, you know, like, that's why I say like, you know, the, the effect that my grandfather had on my family is generational. We're going to span like this thing could go like five generations before it finally clears my family, you know, five <laughs> generations after, after him. And, you know, and, and all that is karma. It's nothing more. And so we need to, you know, like I go, I go in front of the Gohanzan, right? And I chant. I don't know what that is. What's a, what's a Gohanzan? It's a scroll. It's a okay. scroll. Yeah. And, um, and really what it is is a mirror, right? 
So, you, you know, mm -hmm. I, you know, and then, the world. I, you know, I, I, yeah. You know, and, you know, so I, you know, I go in front of the Gohanzan and I, you know, and I chant the Lotus Sutra and, um, and all I'm really doing is, is taking time, you know, out of my day to send out a vibration into the universe in a positive manner in hopes that one day it'll return to me or my kids or my grandkids in a positive way. And to try to alleviate or reduce the amount of generational karma that I've been gifted, you know, from, from my family and, um, and the karma that I've produced for myself. And hopefully that, you know, I can, I can produce enough good karma moving forward that, you know, I can find that middle ground. But for someone like me, and we're not all the same, you know, a middle ground is, is, is going to be a lot more challenging for, for me than it is for people that, you know, may not be carrying so much, you know, generational karma and have done, have led more exemplary lives than I have to this point. Mm -hmm. and so, yeah. Um, Oh, and then there's there's and then there's people that have done you know that have way heavier generational karma than I do and that have you know you know have been villains in their lives and they will always deal with that and their intersection of karma is you know is a the train wreck. Yeah, it's it's sad, but the positive thing is you can. You can begin putting out the positive vibrations at any point you decide to. All you have to do is decide. It's hard, but it's easy too. You know, and, and I think that that, you know, I've just kind of begun to understand the world of vibrations. And for a long time, I've, not for a long time, but for kind of a long time, the last few years, I've been using a similar method of, and I, I got this from Carl Jung, the idea that everyone around you is a mirror. And the only, the, the things you see in other people, be it like negative things or positive things, you only see those things because you recognize them. And the only way you recognize them is because those are the things that you do. So if you see somebody you really hate or you're getting mad at them, it's because they are a reflection of something that you do. And you don't like seeing yourself. You don't like hearing yourself. So you get mad at it. And you want to fight it. But the truth is that person you should be thankful for or that thing that's bothering that you see, you should be thankful for that because it's reminding you that's who you are. These are the things you're putting out there. So stop putting them out there. Put out something positive and you'll get the positive thing back. You focus on the beauty that you see in other people. And that is a reflection of the beauty inside of you. You know, it, it, it's if you want to break it down to an actual level, you know, it's the vibrations you put out there. You know, if, if you if you could see sound waves, then the positive deeds and things you do would emanate a positive cosine wave or a sine wave. You'd be able to see the difference versus the negative thing that you do, and ultimately. That wave is going to hit something and refract back to you or break up into other parts. So when people say you're putting positive things out there, you're putting or you're putting negative things out there, you should be conscious of that because it's real. And the more you can see it, the more you can understand how you personally affect everything around you. 
by putting out positive or negative things. You're going to attract those things in your life. And the challenge is when the world around you is just banging all this negative stuff at you, soak it in and put out something positive. Like that's an incredible thing. And we see that in people, people that are true leaders, people that we want to listen to, people that we want to be around are the people that have that ability to do. And everybody can do it. That's the beauty of it. Like every one of you listening to this can do it. Every one of you watching this can do it. It just takes some time to, to build up the courage and the strength and the fortitude to change the negative into a positive. That's basically what you're doing. You're just flipping the magnet over, right? Everybody's seen a magnet on one end is positive, on one end is negative. Flip that fucker over. Stop being positive. Yeah. If only it was that easy. <laughs> Words are easy. You know, you can start there. You can start with easy and then start putting it into practice. It's a little bit more difficult, but you could start with easy. Yeah. Yeah, you can. And that's kind of like, you know, something that you and I have talked about in the past is like trying to use like, you know, different things that we've read and different life experiences to try to, you know, help people become better and more effective communicators. Right. And um, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and then it's, it's, it, I mean, it's a baby step, right? And yeah. And then hopefully that people can, you know, you know, learn because I feel, and you know, you know, this, I feel that communication is everything. And I mean, there's so many, there's, you know, I think that, you know, most marriages erode because of poor communication. People are probably would be otherwise happily married but had such poor communication skills that they wind up in divorce you know confrontations because of poor communication skills you know people you know not being able to um you know interpret other people's words correctly or people using the wrong words and and having them interpreted spot on right and um yeah and so you know trying to trying to become a better communicator. And that was something that always frustrated me when I was younger. Right. Was like, mm -hmm. right. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, ex I didn't know how to properly express myself. Right. And so it led to frustration and then it led to anger. And, um, and, it, you know, it wasn't until I actually started to focus on communication as like making it a priority in my life. Um, it's just like, well, how come, why, how come I have all these like confrontations with people all the time? You know, like, I, you know, like, is there something wrong with me? Yeah, there is, you know, because you're, a, you're a shitty communicator, Paul. That's why. <laughs> that's a tough thing for someone to get to at a young age. Like that's a, that's some deep thinking. Like you have to be pretty honest with yourself and be like, what's the problem? Why am I having this effect on people? And then to come to the realization, well, it's me. I'm the problem. A lot of people don't, a lot of people even in their older in life don't want to get there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's because I don't think it's an actual want. I mean, I don't, I think most people walk around going, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good communicator. Yeah. And maybe really they're not. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, hey, I'm, hey, I'm a great communicator. Well, you're not, you're not a great communicator. <laughs> And so most people, and then that's what it is. And that's why, you know, for me, 
you know, like I, I usually, I find some time every day to do some Daimoku and, um, you know, and then I don't know what that is. That's chanting. That's, you know, okay. a form of chanting. And so I, I, um, you know, take that time to just kind of reflect and, you know, and kind of to try to like do some deep dive into, you know, what makes me tick. Um, and, and it's, bro, it can be scary, you know, like there's some truths that yeah. you can discover about yourself that are yep. mortifying. Yeah. I know those ones. <laughs> yeah. And so getting through that, right. Is, is, is a key and then accepting those things and then understanding like, yeah. Hey, like I have the power to make those changes. Yeah. I'm a I beast. I'm like, I'm, I'm a lunatic. What's wrong with me? How do I do that? Why do I think that? Well, you are a joy out of that. <laughs> I am a little bit. I've made peace with it though. Like, like I, I think about your day and I'm like, there's not enough time in a day for George Monty. <laughs> I was up at 4 30. Like, like, really are an animal, George. Thank you. Know, you. Like, Thank you. Up freaking ass crack at dawn. You know, <laughs> just like fucking like you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's amazing, really. You know, I kind of hate I, it I, a lot of times. Huh? It's kind of a problem. I kind of hate it sometimes. It's like, I, I have like a love-hate relationship with it. Like, I'll be up, at, I'm up at 4.30 every day. And if I don't get out of my bed by like 5.05, I think horrible things about myself. Like horrible things about us. Like I am fucking a loser. The fuck am I? It was no late here. I'm not doing anything. The fuck are you doing? You're just wasting your life, George. Like I have to do that until I get out of bed. Usually I pop out of bed because I don't want to do that. But that's what I do until I get out of bed. <laughs> like that's crazy, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not up at that early, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not too far behind you. Right? It's Hawaii. People get up. Early. I know. You know, especially over here on Mount. We know what, another yeah. thing too. I think you and I share in common is, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think there's, I don't know. I, the part of me that loves it is like I, I can, I have a lot of stuff I want to get done, and I, I'm responsible to a lot of different people, and the only way I can do what I want to do, is if I have time for myself, and the only time I have for myself is before everyone gets up when everyone goes to bed that's when i can do the things that i want to do that's when i can do the things that i like to do like that's talking to you that's doing a podcast that's trying to create a business on top of being a dad working on you know full-time job being a husband caring about everything that you're supposed to care about as a as a man if you want to do something other than that then you have to do it on your time and your time is when everyone else is is set and they're healthy and they're happy and they're not around. So that that's why I love it. That's why I do it is I want more. I want to be the best person I can possibly be. And that I can only work on myself, these selfish goals that I have when everyone else is fine, when everyone else is well, you know, then I feel like, okay, Everyone's crashed out. I have all the plans set up. Now I can work on these other things that I want to work on. 
But I, you know what I think too, Paul, you, you, you spend a lot of time alone, don't you? Like I, I'm a big loner in a lot of ways. Do you find that being something that you enjoy and that's something you do is being alone? Um, I mean, I'm kind of used to it. I've, I've, you know, kind of been that way. Um, yeah, well, I mean, because of my work, right. There's yeah. just like, I'm either in a piece of like heavy equipment or in a tractor or, you know, or do some, or doing something like that. I'm usually alone. And, um, and so, yeah, I've gotten, but I've also kind of developed it. Like I, I've always struggled with anxiety, you know, especially like social anxiety, mm -hmm. like, like big groups of people. You know, um, and I think just like the, the time that I've spent, you know, from my work alone has like amplified that. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do really well alone. Like I, I thrive alone. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it'd be nothing for me to fucking like, you know, desert island. Yeah. You know, like just freaking out there all alone. I don't, you know, I'd be perfectly fine with that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, it sounds like you don't get a lot of it. You know, I, I do. I, I escape, you know, like I you broke up on there. Right mm. It sounds like you don't get a lot of that, you know, a lot of the, you know, alone time. It's weird because I'm alone. It's like, I'm all, we're all alone together all day long. Like I probably talk to, like if I do 150 stops on my route, I bet you I talk to 60, 70 people, which is a lot for a day. And in some, the conversations range from, Hey, how's it going to, Hey, what, how's your kid doing? You know, like a lot of the conversations I have, or, Hey, I can't find this package. Where is it over here? A lot of the conversations I have, they're not very really deep conversations, but they are a conversation, a new one with a new individual, sometimes every minute and a half or every three minutes I'm talking to a new person. But that being said, because it's not a deep conversation, I'm not really thinking past that. I'm not really thinking about that person once the conversation is done. So I am pretty much, I'm alone from... Uh, like eight in the morning to like eight at night with superficial conversations all around me. So I have, I have real estate in my mind. I have time to think about things, but meanwhile, I'm having these cheap conversations all day long. It's, but I, I don't know. I, I don't, I couldn't be in an office or I couldn't, it would, it would be confining to me in a weird way. Like this is probably obtuse, but it would be confining to me to be surrounded by the same group of people in an office all day long like that. I wouldn't like that at all. So, yeah. Right. Were you, were you yeah. just can't away? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'd have to be nice to everybody and like talk about things that I didn't care about. Like that would be a big problem for me. Yeah. I mean, that's the cool thing about like your job is like you could be really abrupt in a conversation because yeah. people expect that. Like, oh, this guy's got a million packages to deliver. Like, he's, he's spending 15 seconds with me. It's about ready to end. And then yeah. it does. Cool. You know? But in an office yeah. setting, yeah, you, you'd probably, you know, you'd probably get cornered by some of these people. Okay. You know, they'd water cooler shit. They'd get you. <laughs> Back you in a corner, then you had to come out swinging. Oh, I don't yeah. want to talk to George anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you had to hurt their feelings a little bit.
yeah, that's the cool thing about my job, right? It's like fucking, and I have people come up to me when I'm in a machine and they're just like, they're waving at me and they want something from me. And I look at them and I just fucking ignore them and I just keep going, you know, and I can, I, and I kind of let them out. Right. And sometimes I stop, <laughs> but sometimes I just right. don't, I pretend like they're not even there. And I just keep doing my thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, and then they eventually they walk away, right, or they drive away, or whatever. They go, they go away, and then I don't see them again. Maybe a couple more days, and and I'm and I'm happy with that. And then oh, I, I didn't you know, see you guys. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't see you. You looked right at me. <laughs> nah, I didn't. I didn't I, I didn't see you. <laughs> are you secretly, are you secretly laughing inside when that happens? Like what's going on um, in your head when that happens? Well, usually when I'm doing something like, you know, when I do that, it's usually, it's usually because I have some idea why they're standing there or why they're, they're pulled up or whatever. <laughs> right. Right. And like you know what they want. Like I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. I think I, I kind of know what they want or what they're going to ask or whatever. And, and I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to hear it right now. And so I just, you know, I just keep doing my thing. If it's is there important, ever like a little, yeah. Is there ever like a little important. voice inside your head that's like, maybe this is, maybe this is something I should listen to? Um, maybe yeah. it's an emergency. Um. Well, I mean, I think people have certain ways of like communicating with me that there's an emergency, you know. Um. But like, if they're just kind of like walking up, you know, you can kind of tell by body language. You know, like, oh, this is unimportant yeah, waste of time, right? And um, and then I keep going. And oftentimes it's like, you know, there's been either like an ongoing issue or something that's been happening or whatever, you know, and right. I'm tired of you know, like, hey, look, I've given you all the advice I can give and I know why you're standing here and it's time for you to just go away, right? Yeah. And yep. and you got to figure it out. But, you know, I'm that I'm that type of boss, though. You know, like, I don't care if people show up late, just get your work done. I don't care if you take an hour and a half lunch, just get your work done. You know, I don't care if you, you know, but I you know I expect that, you know, your task for the day will be completed. And I don't care if you spend an hour and a half yeah. arguing with your girlfriend on the phone. You know what I mean? Just get your you shit get done. done. Because I don't like to babysit. That's like the first thing I tell people, like, you know, that come out and work with us is like, hey, I'm not going to babysit you. Right. And, but I'm not going to think about you either. You know, so we have goals, we have tasks that need to be done day to day, you know, and we'll teach you how to do those things. And if they're not getting completed, then you'll be gone. You know, like I, I but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, come crash down on you because you were 40 minutes late to work. And I'm not going to come crashing down on you because you, you know, you took a two hour lunch because you, had a fucking social problem with your girlfriend or your mom or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? Like, I don't care about that yeah. stuff. All I care about is you getting your job done. Yeah. And so I don't know. I'm yeah. kind of a, that's the best kind of, that's the best kind of people to work with. Yeah. I, th I, you know, I think I'm, you know, I'm a kind of a hands off boss, you know, like I just like, here it is. I'll train you. This is what we're doing. This is yeah. where I expect to be by the end of the day, you know? And, um, and if you're not there and you've been on the phone and I know you've been on the phone and I'm leaving at 
four o'clock or five o'clock or whatever, I expect you to stay and get it done. You owe me that, right? Yeah. And if you start falling behind, well, then I'll find somebody else to do your job. And for the most part, it's, it's always worked out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think people find that refreshing. Like, fucking have a little faith in me. I'll fucking get it. I can do it. I'm not a dummy. Show me how to do it. You know, show me the right way to do it. And I'll fucking get it done. Some people like yeah. to be told what to do, I guess. Some people do. Some people do. Um, you know, but, you know, like, you know, out on our farm, um, you know, it's such a big place that, um, you know, like, we don't always see each other. And of course, like, if you have like a real problem, you know, I'll, I'll get out of whatever I'm in and jump in my truck and come find you and we'll fix it. Right. But, sure. But, you know, at the same time, like, I, I expect people to be a little, you know, self-reliant and, um, you know, and, and to try to solve the problem on their own before they get on the phone and call me. And, you know, I don't, I don't require a lot of communication either. You know, I mean, I understand, you know, people told me because I've been through it all, you know, like I've, I've been on all of the equipment. I've had every yeah. breakdown you can, think of. you know, I've, I've, I know what all the challenges are. And so I, I have an idea of what the people who work for me yeah. are doing. And, um, yeah, and it's just, it's more goal oriented. It's not, it's not time. You know, if you want to come and, you know, like I've never, I've never denied anybody a day off ever. You know, oh, I want two weeks, three weeks to go freaking backpacking with my girlfriend on the big island, or I'm going to, you know, Australia or I'm going wherever I'm going to go. I'm, I'm just going to go do that. It's like, cool, do it. You know, I've had people that have come back from, you know, being gone a month and immediately asked for a couple of days off because they just want to go hang out with some visitors that are just coming to see them and they're going to go to the beach. Cool. Whatever. You know, we'll pick up the slack. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll make it work. And, yeah. um, and so I think it's been really well received from the people who work with us. Right. It's like, we don't like, I'm not trying to get in the way of you enjoying your life, but, uh, but also understand that there's a balance. Right. That I have a, you know, we have a job to get done here and all of our livelihoods depend on it. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I we try to create, you know, uh, um, you know, a, a place where people actually want to come and work. And it's and it's worked out for us. You know, we've had we've had some people, you know, and but, you know, some people are just not fit for that type of work. And um you know, and, and so they don't last long, but the ones that are like, yeah, they enjoy the work. They enjoy farming. They enjoy beekeeping. They, they enjoy those things, you know, then those ones hang around because like I said, we're, we're pretty cool with like, you know, like working for us, you know, when I say us, I have a business partner, right? So we're pretty easy to, to work for. When you look Just, for people to work up, work on the farm do you look for specifically like one race and gender no <laughs> <laughs> okay just a second no not at all like we've had like you know i mean i've had um you know i've shoot i've had some really good workers of all different races and genders 
you know, I had a woman like when we started out years ago who, um, you know, she was a single mom of three. Um, you know, she had, she'd come from a, a pretty rough, you know, situation with her, with her ex-husband. And, um, when we met her, like she was, she was rolling cigars at like the Grand Wailea on weekends and nights to, to, to make money. And like her and all of her kids were living in like a one bedroom apartment. And, um, and she would come out and she would work for us and she would work all day. And then, you know, her kids were a little bit older. So she would sleep in her van on the farm and then be up at like, you know, like you, like four o'clock in the morning and just like, this woman put out so much work for so long. It was incredible. Like how, like what she did. And she would like, I would leave and she would still be working, you know? And I'd always have to tell her and be like, look, you know, like I can't, like we got overtime here. There's like state rules about this. And she's like, just give me cash. I don't give a fuck. And I'd be like, all right. <laughs> yeah, fucking, you know, she just, she wanted to, um, she, she was a, she was a workhorse, man. She really was. I mean, we've had, we've, I've had some, I've had some really good workers and then I've had some bad ones too. You know I mean? It's just the way it goes, you know, but it's, um, but we always make it about people first, right? It's like people first place. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that and that's the rule. Yeah. And so that's the way you kind of keep it. You, you keep it, you know, you keep it positive, right? If they, I don't want, I don't want people who are out there working on the farm like you know and we've had guys fuck up whatever and they get fucking there's repercussions you know it depends on what you do and um just the nature of it but like if you're out there and you're showing up and you're working you're working hard man then it's then it's an easy job you know i mean it's it, it's a grueling job but dealing with dealing with us is easy you know and we've we've bought yeah. transfer for our workers like you know like we've had good workers that are you know that are you know that were struggling, they're hitchhiking and taking the bus and all that stuff. And we're like, fuck, we, you know, we fucking, you know, help them give them some money so they can get a car or bought them a fucking moped. Right. Or, or, you know, yeah. like things in their lives a little bit easier for them, like whatever we can do. I mean, it's not, not, not much, but, you know, help them out as much as we can, you know, let people live on our farm, you know, because they were homeless, became homeless while they were working with us or before they were working for it for us had no security, you know, we'd let them, you know, live on our farm. Yeah. I think it speaks volumes of, of people first, you know, uh, I wish that could be the first line in every contract that people sign. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's gotta be right. It's like this whole night, the stuff that we've been talking about, right? What we've been talking about tonight. This whole thing, yeah. man, is all yeah. it's like a people first thing. You know, whatever your life experiences yeah. are, whatever challenges you that you have met in your life and whatever, you know, there's a real humanistic quality to all of us and to, you know, to express that and to live by that rule, you know, is um is what we should all be striving to do. Yeah, I like it. I think it's a good spot to leave it, man. I'm getting, uh, I'm, I'm thankful, man. This is a, this is a great conversation. I, I, I miss talking to you, my friend. This is our first conversation on our first podcast of 2023. It was, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's yeah. great, man. Yeah, like, it was enjoyed great. Talking to you. 
Yeah, vice versa. We uh we went pretty deep, man. We talked about uh a lot of family things that uh I never heard before, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Well, you know, um I mean it's just you know, these you know we all have stories, man. Some are worse, some are better, but we all have stories <laughs> and they're all equally as profound to us as individuals. And um you know, and it's and to me, it's like this has been the theme of my life for the last twenty years. Is how do you take all that and turn it into something productive? You just did it. You just did it tonight. I think you try. You know, I mean, that's all you can do is try. But right on, George. Well, I think it's a it's a direct. Yeah, you got it, man. I um. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll hit you up tomorrow, man. We'll figure out text you or call you or something in, in a few hours and uh, i'm super stoked man I, I really i really enjoy talking to you and i appreciate our friendship and uh, i think i'm better because of it so i'll talk to you soon i hope you have a great night tell the family i said what's up and um talk to you soon my friend all right george yeah give the your family my aloha and uh yeah look forward to our next chat absolutely man all right i'm gonna end this broadcast aloha aloha
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.